Hare Krishna. Welcome to the episode 6 of Strengthening Foundation series and today's topic is the story of Tulsi Devi, part 1. Mm, we will see if we can finish the whole story but if not, it will be broken up probably into two parts. Um, so today will be part 1 and tomorrow will be part 2. Uh, tomorrow's Sunday program, um, instead of the regular Bhagavad Gita class, we will continue with the Tulsi story if we do not finish it today. So, first we will offer our prayers to Srila Prabhupada and Tulsi Maharani. Jai Tulsi Maharani ki jai. Om Ajnana Timirandhasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Preshthaya Bhutale Shrimate Bhakti Vedanta Swaminiti Namine Namaste Saraswate Devi Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Sunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Jay Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Srivasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Vrindayai Tulsi Devyai Priyayai Keshavasyacha Vishnu Bhakti Prade Devi Satyavatyai Namon Namaha Yani kani cha papani, Brahmahatyadikani cha, Tani tani pranashanti, Pradakshina pade pade. I offer my respectful, I offer my repeated obeisances unto Vrinda, Srimati Tulasi Devi, who is very dear to Lord Keshava. O Goddess, you bestow our devotional service to Lord Vishnu and possess the highest truth. And the last verse, which we usually sing while circumambulating the Tulasi plant, is this. By the circumambulation of Srimati Tulasi Devi, all the sins that one may have committed are destroyed at every step, even the sin of killing a Brahmana. So these are the prayers to Srimati Tulasi Devi. So for all of you who have just joined in, uh, this is the episode, episode 6 of Strengthening Foundations series wherein we understand the glories of Tulsi Maharani. So, originally I wanted to do, I wanted to do a, a session on the song, the Tulsi song itself, Tulsi Kirtan, but um, we would not appreciate the song until we really understand the glory of Srimati Tulsi Devi. So, we thought it would be uh, in, uh, in the service of all Vaishnavas, that we share this glories of Srimati Tulsi Devi. In fact, to be very honest, I myself did not know the full details of the story. Um, I just read uh, haphazardly before. But this session uh, made me learn the you know, story. In fact, I haven't come to the end yet. I, I was reading it. And so we will learn together as we go. So before we start, there is a nice um, um, 
prayer, I mean a shloka in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which glorifies Srimati Tulasi Devi. Srimad Bhagavatam, Kanto 3, Chapter 15, Verse 19. Mandara kunda kurabot palachampa karna punnaga naga bakulambuja pari gandher chite tulasika bharane natasya yasmim stapah sumanaso bahumanayanti. This is the situation in Vaikuntha planets. Although flowering plants like the Mandara, Kunda, Kurabaka, Utpala, Champaka, Arna, Punnaga, Nagakeshara, Bakula, Lili and Parijat are all are full of transcendental fragrance, they are still conscious of the austerities performed by Tulasi. For Tulasi is given special preference by the Lord who garlands himself with Tulasi leaves. Not only the Tulasi Arati that we do, we also wear Tulsi Kantimala, the neck beads made of Tulsi wood. Our Japamala, especially for those devotees who are initiated, is made of Tulsi. So, Tulsi is very, very integral part of Krishna worship, Vaishnava worship. And even Lord Shiva has said, Aradhananam Sarvesham Vishnura Aradhanam Param Tasmat Parataram Tevi Devi Tadiyanam Samarchanam. Of all types of worship, the Lord uh, Vishnu's worship is the highest and even greater than that is the worship of his devotees and especially he was referring to Tulsi Maharani. So now we will go through this story of Tulsi Devi's uh, austerities which make her so glorious. So this story is from Brahma Vaivartha Puran. So Brahma Vaivartha Puran, I have done some basic research. So Brahma Vaivartha Puran has 18,000 verses just like uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, but it is divided into 276 chapters. In fact, the Srimad Bhagavatam is divided into 335 chapters in total and Brahma Vaivartha Puran into 276. Out of that 276, 133 chapters are devoted to Lord uh, Krishna and uh, Srimati Radharani as well. So, the majority of the the Brahma Vaivartha Puran is about Golok Vrindavan, Radha Krishna and all that. So we'll wait for that to open. In the meanwhile, we can actually start. Yeah, actually I've already mentioned the, the number of chapters. So that's what I actually wanted to say. So now we will read the story of Tulsi Maharani. So this is uh, like extremely slow. So kindly bear with me for some time while I
so because of this live stream the speed of this is uh, very very slow so which is why I will try and use this uh, Safari which is which was faster in the, on the other day than Google Chrome. Hmm, we should be ready in about a minute. Kindly bear with me. I'm sorry for this delay. Actually, I didn't expect it to go so slow. <laughs> okay, here we are. Hmm, it's also slow. Oh, everything is like So chapter 1, so 20 chapters in fact this whole ch um, story of Tulsi Maharani spans 20 chapters. So chapter 1 is the appearance of Tulsi Devi. So this is how it goes. So it all started with Narad Muni's question and Narayana he answered the whole thing. This was the conversation between Narada and Narayana. Narad Muni asked Lord Narayana, O Bhagavan, how did the pure, chaste Tulasi Devi become your wife? Where was she born? Who was she in her previous birth? What family did she come from? And what austerities did she perform to get you as her husband? You who are above the material energy are not subject to change. The cosmic self, the supreme God, the Lord of all, omniscient, the cause of all, omnipresent, container and preserver of all. And how did Tulasi Devi, your chief goddess, become a tree? O oh, you who resolve all doubts, my mind is curious to know all about these points. Therefore, it compels me to ask you these questions. Kindly remove these doubts from my mind. Lord Narayana then related the following account. Manu Dakshasavarni was a partial expansion of Lord Vishnu. So now... Dakshasavarni. So Manu, there are 14 Manus in one day of Brahma. One day of Brahma is 1000 cycles of the four Yugas, Satya, Treta, Dvapara, and Dvapara Yuga and Kali Yuga. One cycle times 1000. So it spans about 4.32 uh, 4 billion years of earth years. In that time, that 100 cycles of four Yugas, seven, uh, 14 Manus come and go. So Manu is a father of mankind. The word man, the English word man also comes from the word Manu and Manava. Human beings are therefore called Manav or Manushya because they are descendants of Manu. 
So now, um, Manu's, they, they rule for about, uh, if you divide 1000 cycles of the four yugas by 14, you will get about 71 point something, uh, about 71 cycles roughly, each Manu will get that much amount of time to rule. Now, in the 14 Manus are, the first one is Swayambhuva, then Swarochisha, Uttama, Tamasa, Raivata, Chakshusha, Vaivasvata, Savarni, Daksha Savarni, Brahma Savarni, Dharma Savarni, Rudra Savarni, Deva Savarni and Indra Savarni. So, these are the 14 Manus. So, Daksha Savarni is the ninth Manu, whereas we are in the Vaivasvata Manu, which is Vaivasvata Manu means the Manu who is the son of Vivaswan. Vivaswan's son is Vaivasvata. So, the, the Vivaswan is the sun god, Surya. So, his son is now the current Manu. So, this is the seventh Manu in the day of Brahma. So, we are at about midday, just going to be midday. After the end of seventh Manu, it will be midday for Brahma. So, but this Daksha Savarni Manu uh, is, a, is the ninth Manu. So, from this we can understand, it looks like, what is this? Uh, Krishna. It looks like, it may be from a previous day of Brahma, um, or Daksha Savarni is already here, but he is not yet the Manu. So, I do not know exactly which is the case, uh, but it looks like it is from the previous day of Brahma. So, now we will read, we will continue reading. Manu Dakshasavarni was a partial expansion of Lord Vishnu. He was extremely virtuous, devoted to the Lord and very famous for his good deeds. Dakshasavarni's son, Dharmasavarni, was also extremely virtuous. Dharma Savarni's pious son was called Vishnu Savarni and his son who was a great Vaishnava was known as Raja Savarni. However, Raja Savarni's son Vrishadhaja was fanatically devoted to Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva lived in Vrishadhaja's house for three celestial yugas. That means, one uh, celestial yuga means Divya yuga. One Divya yuga is one cycle of the four yugas. Satya, Treta, Dvapara, Kali. So, Lord Shiva lived in Vrishadhvaja's house for three celestial yugas, three Divya yugas and loved him more than his own sons who were Kartikeya and Ganesh. Vrishadhvaja did not river Lord Narayana, Goddess Lakshmi or any of the demigods. He abolished the worship of Lakshmi in the month of Bhadra, August, September and the worship of Saraswati in the month of Magha, January, February. He did not participate in, in the sacrifice and worship performed out of respect for Lord Vishnu Narayana and criticized them rather severely and was against, completely against Vaishnavism. But the demigods did not curse him because they feared Lord Shiva. Because Lord Shiva, I mean, he was very dear to Lord Shiva. So, if somebody cursed him, maybe Lord Shiva will get angry. That's why they did not do anything to him. So, the demigods did not curse him because they feared Lord Shiva. However, Surya, the sun god, no longer able to restrain his wrath, anger, cursed him. O king, just as you are completely devoted to Lord Shiva and only to Lord Shiva, and just as you do not recognize any of the other demigods, I declare that you will now lose your wealth and prosperity. 
when Lord Shiva heard this curse, Lord Shiva who was in meditation, he came to know that Surya uttered this curse over his devotee. He became very angry. Seizing his trident, he ran after Lord Surya. Afraid, the sun god went with his father, Kashyapamuni, to Brahmaloka. So, he went, because he was Kashyapamuni's son, um, who, this, um, <clears throat> we are reading about, uh, Vrishadhvaja. Vrishadhvaja is Rajasavarani's son, but here, Surya is Kashyapamuni's son. Uh, Kashyapamuni actually uh, was, was given 13 daughters by Daksha. Daksha was another son of uh, Lord Brahma. So, he is a Prajapati. So, Daksha had 100 daughters. So, 13 of his daughters he gave to Kashyapamuni. So, among his wives, Kashyapamuni had Aditi and Diti. Um, the sons of Aditi are all the demigods, Adityas. And then the son of sons of Diti, they are all Daityas. And he had another wife, Danu. From her came all the sons who were called Danavas. They are because they are sons of Danu. She had about 60 sons, Danavas, and they are descendants like that. The Asura race uh, became populated and the demigod race also became populated from Kashyapamuni. So now, Aditya... Another name for son is also Aditya because he is the foremost of, of the Adityas. And um, his son, I mean his father was Kashyapa. So seeing Lord Shiva very angry, he went to Kashyapa Muni and both of them went to Lord Brahma. Then what happened? Lord Brahma, um, but Lord Shiva pursued them, pursued him there. Lord Brahma, also afraid of Lord Shiva, took Lord Surya and Kashyapa Muni to the region of Vaikuntha, the spiritual or eternal world. So there is one... Vaikuntha, which is on in this universe, it is called Shvetadvipa, where the Lord is situated on the, you know, uh, Sheshanaga. And also he has a palace and everything, later you will see. Uh, so, he went there. So, that is the Vaikuntha that they go to every time, you know. Every time there is some disturbance from the Asuras, Devatas, they go to Brahma and Brahma goes to the, he leads them to the Vaikuntha planet within this universe and uh, Shvetadvi planet and there they offer prayers to the Lord and then the Lord takes an incarnation and rectifies the whole situation. So, that's the usual affair. So, similarly, so here Brahma is also, uh, was also uh, afraid of Lord Shiva. Although Lord Shiva was his son, but Brahma was still afraid. So, Lord Brahma also afraid of Lord Shiva took Lord Surya and Kashyapamani to the region of Vaikuntha, the spiritual or eternal world. Mm. Uh, so, now this Shvetadvipa, although in this universe, it will not get uh, destroyed at the time of dissolution. It just exists as part of the Paravyoma. Paravyoma is a spiritual sky. There, with throats parched, parched due to anxiety, they took refuge of Lord Narayana, the Lord of all. They were completely exasperated. They offered obeisances to him and praised him repeatedly and finally explained why they were so apprehensive. Lord Narayana bestowed his mercy on them and granted them the power to be fearless. He said, O fearful ones, be consoled. How can you be afraid of anyone while I am here? Hmm. You know, if anyone remembers me when he is in danger, wherever he may be, I hurry to him with my Sudarshan disc 
in my hand and save him. Mm. Krishna is assuring protection for his devotees. O demigods, I am always the creator, preserver and destroyer of this universe. In the form of Vishnu, I am the preserver. In the form of Brahma, the creator and in the form of Shiva, the destroyer. I am Shiva, I am you and I am Surya. I assume numerous forms and preserve the universe. So go back to your respective places. You have nothing to be afraid of. All will be well. So when he says, of course, I am you, I am Surya, I am Shiva. It does not mean that everyone is equal to Vishnu, everyone. No. So Krishna has invested different degrees of his power into these different demigods. So in one sense, they are his representation. Like he said in the Bhagavad Gita, among the fish, I am the shark. That doesn't mean you go and worship the shark. So it is not, it is not a, you put a shark deity on the, uh, on the altar and worship. No. He is, you know, among the animals, I am the lion. So we don't go and worship a lion now. So he, is, he, is, has, he has specially benedicted them with extraordinary power. And in one sense, Lord Krishna is everything anyway. Vasudeva Sarvamiti. So because nothing can be separate. The energy cannot be separated from the energetic. The heat cannot be separated from fire. The light cannot be separated from fire. Although heat and light are not fire, but fire means also heat and light. So in that way, Achinta Bheda Bheda Tattva. From this day on, you have nothing to fear from Lord Shiva. He is the shelter of the pious. He is easily pleased. He is a servant and lord of his devotees and is great-minded. Lord Shiva and the Sudarshan Chakra are dearer to me than my life. See, Lord Shiva is dearer to him than his own life. Vaishnavanam Yathashambhu is the greatest Vaishnava. In the world of valor, they excel all. In the world of valor means, among the Kshatriyas, among the warriors, nobody can equal Lord Shiva and the Sudarshan Chakra. No one can equal Lord Shiva as a warrior and no one can, uh, no weapon can equal Sudarshan Chakra in the uh, weapons. Lord Shiva can easily, you see, Lord Shiva can easily create 10 million Suryas and 10 million Brahmas. For him, nothing is impossible. He is not conscious of the external world. Meditating on me, his heart centered, he is absorbed day and night. From his five faces, Panchamukhim, he repeats my mantra with devotion. And he always sings my glories. Day and night, I always, I also always think of his welfare. To whatever degree one worships me, to that degree I favor one. Ye yathamam prapadyante, tamstathaiva bhajamyaham. Yadrishi yadrishi shraddha, siddhir bhavati tadrishi. The nature of Shiva is all auspiciousness. While Lord Narayana was speaking, Lord Shiva arrived. His eyes red and he was sitting on his bull carrier holding his trident. He dismounted quickly and humbly offered obeisances with devotion to the Lord in uh, to the Lord of Lakshmi, the tranquil supreme being. Lord Narayana, Vishnu, was sitting on his jewel-studded throne. He was decorated with a crown, earrings and a garland and was holding his disc. His form was extremely beautiful, his complexion like a fresh blue rain cloud. Each of his attendants had four arms and was fanning him with four hands. You know, each of his you know, associates had four arms, the Vishnu Dutas. And with four arms, they were fanning him, each of them, with four fans. His body was anointed with sandal paste and he was um, wearing a yellow garment. Lord Vishnu, who who shows kindness to his devotees, was chewing betel nut that had been offered to him by his wife Lakshmi. Smiling, he was watching and listening to the dancing and singing of the Vidyadharis. 
Vidyadharas. After Lord Shiva bowed down to Lord Narayana, he bowed to Lord Brahma. Why Lord Shiva bowed to Lord Brahma? Because Lord Brahma was his father. Although Lord Shiva was much more powerful than Lord Brahma, uh, but still, uh, as respect, he offered his obeisances to Brahma. Lord Surya and Kashyapamuni respectfully saluted Lord Shiva. See, there was full respect. Although they were running away from Lord Shiva, there was full respect. Then Lord Shiva worshipped Vishnu, the Lord of all, and seated himself on a throne. Now, <laughs> the interesting conversation. The attendants of Lord Narayana began to fan Lord Shiva with white whisks to relieve him of the fatigue of his journey. So, all the Vishnu Dutas, they were fanning Lord Shiva because they also understand he is a great Vaishnav. Lord Shiva, because of being in contact with Lord Vishnu's virtues, then assumed a cheerful disposition and adored the eternal being with his five mouths. He glorified the Lord with his five mouths and with a cheerful attitude. Lord Narayana was highly gratified. With sweet and nectarian words, he said, O Lord Shiva, you are the symbol of all good and welfare. Thus, to ask about your welfare would be foolish. I would ask you only out of respect for the rules of society and the method prescribed in the Vedas. One who yields fruits of devotion and gives all prosperity should not be asked about his austerities or material prosperity. See, people, the many devotees of Lord Shiva, they pray to him and with great austerity, great tapasya and he fulfills their benedictions. So, what to speak uh, of asking Lord Shiva about his austerity? He is awarding those who are doing austerity. How much more is he powerful? See? Hmm. So, he, one who yields fruits of devotion and gives prosperity should not be asked about his austerities or material prosperity. Lord Shiva's devotees are all prosperous. Uh, although he sits in the crematorium, you know, he sits uh, aloof, uh, naked almost. So, but he is actually fully prosperous. He is just not interested in that. But he can give his devotees so much prosperity. Since you preside over knowledge, it would be useless to ask if you are increasing in knowledge. It would be equally useless to ask a conqueror of death if he is free from all danger. <laughs> are you in danger? Are you free from all danger? Death is the biggest danger. And Lord Shiva, you know, he is, he is, he is the death of the whole universe. He can never be Sadashiva. He can never be actually killed. He is eternal. So, what is the use of asking him whether you are in danger or whether you are free from danger? No, no, useless. But, you have come to my residence for a reason. Although you have nothing to ask for, for yourself, you have still come here. What is it? Have you become angry over something? As if Lord Vishnu did not know. He is already giving the hint. Have you become angry over something? <laughs> of course, he knows. Mm. Oh, Lord Vishnu, Lord Shiva began. King Vrishadhvaja is my great devotee. Lord Surya had cursed him and that has made me angry. Out of affection for my son, the king, I was about to kill Surya. But Surya sought shelter to Lord Bra of Lord Brahma and now both of them have sought your protection. Those who are distressed and take shelter of you, either by speaking about you or by remembering you, completely become completely safe and free from danger. Just by chanting your name, you know, Apanna Samsritim, samsritim Ghoram, uh, Yannama Vivasho Grinan, Yannama Vivasho, even unintentionally or unconsciously if one chants Krishna's name, uh, uh, Vivashogranan Tato Sadhyo Vimucheta Yad Bibheti Swayam Bhayam uh, Immediately at that very moment Bhayam will run far away, fear will run far away. Uh, that is the benefit of even chanting your name or remembering you or talking about you. 
what to speak of one who has actually come to you and bowed down at your lotus feet and personally is seeing you. So now I see that there is no hope. I cannot do anything to them now because they have come to you already. What can I do? You know, those who are distressed, I have read that, they overcome death and old age. You know, those who take shelter of Krishna, they overcome death and old age. What to speak of those who come personally to you and take shelter? When one remembers you, his dangers disappear. All good comes to him. O Lord of the world, what will become of my foolish devotee who by the curse of Lord Surya has lost his good fortune and prosperity? You know, now they have come and taken shelter of you. Now what will happen to my devotee? Huh? <laughs> now you see what Lord Vishnu says. Lord Vishnu replied, O Lord Shiva, a half an hour has passed, half an hour has elapsed in, here in Vaikuntha. In that time, 21 celestial yugas have passed away in the material world. 21 Divya yugas have passed away in this half an hour that you are here. Therefore, King Vrishadhvaja, although, I mean, King Vishadhvaja, through the revolution of irresistible and dreadful time, is dead already. Not only he is dead, his son, his son Hamsadhvaja, in the course of time, also died. <laughs> in this half an hour. They, mind you, they live for very, 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 very long years. You know, just like we, we heard that Vrishadhvaja's house, Lord Shiva stayed for three Divya Yugas. Mm. So, how long is his lifespan? You see, just imagine. Uh, but that Vrishadhvaja has already died. Uh, not only that, his son Hamsadvaja also died. But Hamsadvaja had two sons, Dharmadvaja and Kushadvaja. You see now, uh, Hamsadvaja begot two noble sons named Dharmadvaja and Kushadvaja. They are both great Vaishnavas. But because of Lord Surya's curse, they have become luckless, no luck. And that means Lord Surya's curse did not even, not only uh, in, you know, affected Vrishadvaja, but his son Hamsadvaja and his two grandsons, uh, Dharmadvaja and Kushadvaja also. They lost their kingdoms, including all prosperity and property. But they are now engaged in worshipping goddess Lakshmi, who is pleased with their efforts. Therefore, she has agreed to descend to earth uh, with, um, and expand herself partially by taking birth from the wives of those two kings. Hmm. So, she has agreed, Lakshmi has agreed as uh, to descend in their, as, their, as their daughters as partial expansion. Not complete expansion, partial expansion of Lakshmi. Uh, one uh, Dharmadvaja's daughter, one Kushadvaja's daughter, like that. She wanted to, she agreed to come. Then, by the favor of Goddess Lakshmi, Dharmadvaja and Kushadvaja will become prosperous, mighty kings. O Lord Shiva, your devotee Vrishadvaja is dead. So, return to your abode. O Lord Brahma, Lord Surya and Kashvamani, you also should return to your abodes, realms. Bhagavan Vishnu then went with his wife to the inner apartments. The demigods went cheerfully to their own abodes, Lord Shiva continuing his practice of austerity. Uh, anger all finished, no more anger, finished. Dharmadhvaja and Kushadhvaja performed harsh asceticism and worshipped Goddess Lakshmi. Thereafter, they separately obtained the blessings they desired. By Goddess Lakshmi's favour, they again became the rulers of the earth. Yeah. They acquired great spiritual merits, were married and begot children. King Dharmadhvaja was married to Madhavi. So, Dharmadhvaja's wife was Madhavi. After some time, she became, she became pregnant with a partial incarnation of Goddess Lakshmi. 
However, the infant remained in Madhavi's womb for 100 celestial years. This is not celestial Divya Yugas, uh, but celestial years. So, to understand what is a celestial year, our one year, our six months, Uttarayana, is their one day in the heavenly planets, celestial um, one day. And our Dakshinayana is their one night. So, our one year is their one day. One year is 124 hours for them. So, like that, 100 celestial years. So, that means, our 360 days here, uh, 360 days is one year. For them, it is 360. Uh, sorry, one year, one day, right? So, their one year would be our 360 years here. So, their 100 years would be 36,000 or 36,500 years. Earth years. For that long, Madhavi bore this, this partial expansion as uh, in, in her womb. Day by day, Madhavi's luster increased uh, because the goddess of fortune was in her womb, the, her, her bodily complexion, everything, she became very bright. Then, on an auspicious day and moment, when there was a full moon in the month of Kartik on a Friday, she gave birth. The, gray, the grace of the goddess of fortune Lakshmi manifested through the baby. There were marks of the lotus flower on the infant's feet. Her face looked like the autumnal moon. Her eyes resembled blooming lotuses and her lips appeared like red, ripe bimba fruit. That means fully nice and red. Her palms and the soles of her feet were reddish. So, these... these um, Signs are signs of a very uh, auspicious signs of a great personality. So, there are 32 symptoms uh, of a Mahapurusha for a boy and similarly, there are symptoms for the girl also. So, when a, bo when a baby is born, uh, expert astrologers and you know, sign, uh, those sages who are very expert in the signs, by just looking at the bodily features, they can tell whether this person is going to be a great person or whether it's going to be a demoniac person, everything they will know about the uh, person just by looking at the body. So, all these, these uh, descriptions here are very auspicious signs. Uh, there were marks of lotus flower on the infant's feet. This is only possible for Lakshmi. Her face looked like the autumnal moon. Her eyes resembled blooming lotuses and her lips appeared like ripe bimba fruit. Her palms and the soles of her feet were reddish. This is all auspicious signs. Her navel was deep uh, and just above it there were three folds. Her buttocks were round and her body was delightfully warm in the winter and cool in the summer, very pleasant to touch. Her breast was firm and her waist thin and the light shining from her body surrounded her like a halo. Her complexion was white like a champaka flower and her hair looked beautiful. So in the champaka flowers there are two types, one is white, one is yellow. So, this is like the white, uh, her color is like the white champaka. And her hair looked beautiful. Because her beauty was incomparable, the sages called her Tulasi. Tula means compare, uh, equal. Tulasi means incomparable, there is no equal. So, um, it appears that she was already grown, she was born and all suddenly became like a uh, youth, you know. Um. 
as soon as she was born you see she was already grown up that's why you see uh, even the the descriptions of a uh, grown up woman um, just a girl who has come of age such descriptions are mentioned so as soon as she was born tulsi resolved to go to the mountainous region of badrinath to practice severe austerities though many persons tried to dissuade her no one was able to for she was determined to stay and pray in the forest till lord krishna appeared and agreed to become her husband during a period now you see what is the austerities you know tulsi maharani performed you know we have read the verse earlier that all the flowers were acknowledging the uh, austerity of tulsi maharani now you see during a period of uh, during a period of 100000 celestial years you know 100000 not earth years celestial years that means about 36 million years of our earth she endured the following what she did what was her tapasya in the summer she exposed herself to four fires around her and the sun above this is what the great sages do they go to the himalayas they start a fire here they start a fire here they start a fire here and they start a fire behind so it is very very hot this is in the summer and then the sun is scorching from above and in this way they meditate on the lord so in the whole summer like this and in the winter she submerged herself in the icy waters and in the rainy season she subjected herself to heavy downpours at the funeral grounds this is for 100000 celestial years 100000 celestial years and for 20000 years the first 20000 she subsisted on fruits and water 20000 years for the next 30000 years she chewed dry leaves the leaves which had already fallen from the tree not plucking the leaves from the tree also that which have already fallen and became dried and after that for 40000 years she lived only on air and for the next 10000 years she ate nothing not even air not even breathing air and just stood on one leg <clears throat> this is her 100000 years of tapasya and all this in the midst of the fire in summer and in the icy waters in the submerged herself in the icy waters to the neck in winter uh, and uh, doing these things now now you know what is tulsi maharani's tapasya finally she saw lord brahma in the sky riding on his swan ca- swan carrier and sweeping down towards her believing that he had come to grant her a boon she bowed low bowed down low to him lord brahma said o tulsi ask me for a boon whether it be devotion to lord hari or servitorship to him or freedom from old age or freedom from death i will grant it yes o lord i will ask please listen i will not hide my desires out of fear or shame since you are all knowing you know everything anyway so i will not hide from fear or shame my name is tulasi formerly i was a cowherd girl in goloka goloka vrindavan planet uh, and there i served radharani the beloved of shri krishna i am a partial expansion of radharani and was her favorite companion but one day in the place where the rasa dance had occurred krishna became intimate with me and i fainted from excessive joy while i was lying there radharani suddenly appeared and saw me in that condition she was not at all pleased 
blinded with fury, she first reproached Krishna. First she shouted at Krishna, what is this? And then cursed me. She said, oh vile one, go and take birth as a human being. Radharani. <laughs> you see now how it started, how it all started. So, Srimati Radharani cursed Tulasi because she was enjoying with. And you see what Krishna did. He did not. Because in, in Golok Vrindavan, Radharani is the supreme. You know. Uh, and Krishna is just like a henpecked uh, lover. So, then Krishna said to me, so Tulasi is saying, Krishna said to me, when you take birth in uh, Bharatvarsh, here it is in India, when you take birth in Bharatvarsh, if you practice austerities, Lord Brahma will grant you a blessing. He will arrange for you to marry the four-armed Narayana, who is an expansion of myself. Then Krishna disappeared. And out of fear of Radharani, I left Goloka and was born in this world. So please grant me that boon. I want to have that handsome and peaceful Narayana as my husband. See? Uh, so, for a woman, uh, the, the perfection of all her austerities or what is when she has a good husband. And good husband means especially one who is a devotee and who can guide her. Uh, Lord Brahma replied, O Tulasi, Sudama. Now, you see, Lord Brahma is offering another thing. She asked for Narayana's husband. He said, he had another plan. Lord Brahma replied, O Tulasi, Sudama was a partial expansion of Krishna and one of Krishna's cowherd boyfriends in Koloka. Golok Vrindavan is the topmost planet in the spiritual sky. In all the Vaikuntha, there are innumerable, innumerable Vaikuntha planets in the spiritual sky. And among all of them, Golok Vrindavan is the topmost and that's where Krishna resides. And that Golok Vrindavan planet is so big that all the infinite Vaikunthas put together cannot equal its size. Golok Vrindavan is that big. And each of the Vaikuntha planets is actually so big that the entire material world with all its millions and trillions and trillions of universes cannot compare to even the size of one Vaikuntha planet. <laughs> now you see. So Sudama was in that Golok Vrindavan. How many innumerable living entities you just imagine will be there. And he was one of the eight closest friends of Krishna. And now, Sudama was a partial expansion of Krishna and was one of Krishna's cowherd boyfriends in Goloka. As a result of a curse by Radharani, again Radharani cursed him also. <laughs> he is presently living on earth among the Danavas, demons. His name is Shankhachuda. He is very energetic and no one can compare with him in strength. While living in Goloka, he was very attracted to you and wanted to marry you. But because he feared Radharani, he did not make any overtures. He, even, he did not <laughs> attempt out of fear of Radharani. <laughs> Just as you are Jatismara, Jatismara, Jatismara means that is one who knows her previous births. So sometimes we have examples in the modern world also that sometimes, you know, some children they take birth and they remember their previous lives. So there are some documentaries as well like that. So this is called in Sanskrit Jatismara. So just as you are Jatismara, one who knows the previous births, Shankachuda also is. Remembering his past desire to be close to you, he has performed severe austerities to ob obtain you as his wife. I now wish to grant his desire. See, so Lord Brahma proposed another thing to her now. She wanted Narayana as her husband. 
because Krishna asked her to do that. Just when Radharani cursed her, so Krishna said, um, you, you, you do austerities and Lord Brahma will give you the boon that you will, and then you can marry me, uh, and marry Narayana who is an expansion of me. Because Krishna said that, she wanted Narayana. But now Lord Brahma is offering Sudama to her, who is, who is now in material world as Shankachura. So now, therefore, O beautiful one, please agree to wed him. What is this? Come on. One second, no, just. Therefore, O beautiful one, please agree to wed him. However, later on, by the special arrangement of providence, you will get the beautiful Narayana as your husband. See, there is something, this is very weird. He asked her to marry Shankachuda. But, however, later on, by the special arrangement of providence, you will get the beautiful Narayana as your husband. But after that, he will curse you and you will be transformed into the world-purifying Tulasi plant, holy basil or Ocelium basildum sanctum. This is the scientific name of Tulasi. You will be the best of flowers and dearer to Narayana than his own life. No one's worship will be complete without your leaves. You will remain as a tree in Vrindavan and will be widely known as Vrindavani. The cowherd men and women will worship Lord Hari with your leaves. As the presiding deity of the Tulasi plant, you will always enjoy the company of Krishna, the best of cowherd boys. So now he gave a whole new twist to her austerity. So she wanted Narayana, he said you marry this Shankachuda who is Sudama, who has also fallen down because of Radharani's curse and now the Shankachuda, you marry him and after that by will of providence you will get Narayana as your husband and that Narayana after being your husband he will curse you and you will become a plant and then the whole, everybody will, you know, worship, everybody's worship will not be complete unless they use your leaves, that plant. So in this way he said, you know, and then as the presiding deity of the Tulsi plant, you will enjoy Krishna's company. Now, Tulsi Devi, you see, she said, she, she did not become upset. You see what she did. Tulsi Devi smiled and gladly said to Lord Brahma, Oh Father, I will be honest with you. I am not as devoted to the four-armed Narayana as I am to the two-armed Krishna. <laughs> now she is disclosing another aspect. For in Goloka, my close encounter with Krishna was suddenly interrupted, leaving me still longing for him. Thus, it was only because Krishna had asked me that I had been praying to get Narayana for my husband. So, you see, this is not like just like ordinary lust or like boy and girl. No, this is, this is very, very difficult to understand. So, it is so strong, that love is so strong that she was enjoying with Krishna and was cursed, that it was interrupted. And because Krishna asked her to do this tapasya, she did so severe tapasya, it unmatched, it is unmatched in the whole history. 100,000 years, celestial years and with all that difficulty that we have seen. 
but she she has gladly done it and after all that also when lord brahma when she asked lord brahma her boon uh, brahma suggested something else he said marry shankachoda this demon and then then narayana and then tulsi plant and she did not say what is this you know after 100000 celestial years you, are, you have no respect for my no nothing no complaint she was in fact very glad in fact she says she says another thing you see oh actually i am actually more attracted to krishna than narayana but because krishna asked me to get narayana as my husband to fulfill to fulfill krishna's order that's why i i wanted narayana as my husband so although there is no difference between krishna and narayana devotees have their own preferences like uh, hanuman how much ever you may convince him to worship krishna he will worship ram only <laughs> although there is no difference between krishna and ram hmm. once hanuman went to dwarka and saw krishna and rukmini and they both dressed as ram and sita but he saw but he he was not satisfied no this is this is not the same you know <laughs> the mood is different so there is different reciprocation different moods of worship so even chaitanya mahaprabhu he suggest he wanted to change the mind of murari gupta murari gupta was staunchly ram devotee because he was actually an incarnation of hanuman uh, however chaitanya mahaprabhu tried he did not budge same was with rupa goswami and sanatan goswami's brother who was anupam anupam so anupam also was very staunch ram devotee and rupa goswami and sanatan goswami always tried to um, convince him about krishna how krishna is the sampurna bhagwan and um, he said he he always held his brothers in utmost respect so once um, he said all right i cannot refuse you you are all very great devotees so please give me krishna mantra i will i will uh, try to become krishna devotee now then he agreed then in that night he could not sleep he could not sleep whole night he was thinking how can i give up ram how can i give up ram how can i give up ram and um, by the morning he the whole night he did not sleep at all he was crying and crying and crying how can i give up then finally he admitted in the morning to rupa goswami and sanatan goswami however much i tried to follow your orders i am just completely unable to give up my lotus feet of my lord ram even the very thought of giving them up you know makes my heart beat stop you know i cannot live without the remembering the lotus feet of lord ramachandra it brings me great pain you know so then rupa goswami sanatan goswami said you are a great devotee of lord ramachandra you continue in your devotion to ramachandra so and similarly we have another example of in the raslila the gopis they were dancing with krishna you know for very long for one night of brahma actually so and then after that krishna disappeared krishna disappeared and uh, actually no it was before that so krishna disappeared in between the rasa dance raslila and they were all became frantic every all the gopis were just searching for him where is he where is he and at one point he krishna manifested his four armed chaturbhuj narayan roop and he was sitting under the shade of a tree and the gopis saw him oh, narayana they offer obeisances bow down to him and then uh, do you know where is krishna and then he said uh, i have seen him go there then he went then they went searching narayana is krishna but their their uh, mood is towards krishna and narayana they have all respects even hanuman has full respects for krishna he knows even he knows that ramachandra and krishna there is no difference it is not that he does not know or he does not have any reverence for krishna no he has at the same time his particular mood is for ramachandra they similarly gopi's particular mood is with krishna now similarly tulsi is saying i am not as devoted to the four four armed narayana as i am to the two armed krishna for in goloka my close encounter with krishna was suddenly interrupted leaving me still longing for him 
Thus, it was only because Krishna had asked me that I have been praying to get Narayana for my husband. But now it appears certain that by your grace, I will get a, I will again get Krishna, who is very difficult to attain. However, O Lord, please grant me the following boon, that I lose my fear for Radharani. Because she was very fearful of Radharani now. <laughs> Lord Brahma replied, O child, I shall now give you the 16-lettered Radha Mantra, which I do not know what it is, honestly. Um, so, he initiated her into some Radha Gayatri Mantra, Radha Mantra. So, by this boon, you will be as dear to Radharani as her life and she will approve of your intimate dealings with Krishna. In other words, to get intimate with Krishna, we need Radharani's blessings. If by uh, um, getting her favour, we go there, ah, yes. But if you want to go directly to Krishna, uh, we will be rejected. So, of course, this is all very spiritual. Tulsi is also very dear to Krishna. It is just to show us. So now, Lord Brahma initiated Tulsi Devi uh, into and he gave assurance. He gave her mantra. He gave her the method how to worship. And he also assured that Radharani will approve of your intimate dealings with Krishna. Uh, Lord Brahma initiated Tulsi Devi into the 16-lettered mantra, the hymn and the mode of worship of Sri Radha. Then, blessing her, he disappeared. As directed, Tulsi engaged herself in worshipping Srimati Radharani. Hmm? And after 12 years, attained success. 12 years, after the 100,000 celestial years, now another 12 celestial years, she attained success. Obtaining the desired boon, she reaped the fruits that were unattain- unattainable by others. Hmm. As the pangs of her austerities ended, she became cheerful. When one gets the fruits of one's labor and then considers the difficulties experienced in attaining them, the difficulties then seem pleasurable. You know, it is very hard, but once you get the result and when you think of the, all the difficulties that you went through to get this result, oh, you become all those difficulties seem pleasurable. But if you don't get the result, you will be frustrated, of course. So, but if one is, one gets the result, all the difficulties become very pleasurable. Tulusi was in the prime of her youth. See, after the 100,000 celestial years and all 12 years, she is still in the prime of her youth. So, how long is the lifespan, you see? And she longed for the company of Sri Krishna. Finishing her food and drink, she lay down on a beautiful bed, decorated with flowers and perfumed with sandal paste. She went to sleep and uh, with a happy heart. But while she slept, Kamadev, the god of love, I mean the god of lust actually, shot five arrows at her. Not one, five arrows that were meant to enchant her. Consequently, though she was anointed with cooling sandal paste and slept on a bed strewn with flowers, her body began to feel as though it, was, it, were, in, it were on fire. Out of joy, the hairs on her body stood on end. Her eyes reddened and her body began to tremble. One moment she looked, she looked thin and at another moment she grew restless or drowsy. Sometimes she became agitated or warm with desire. At other times she fainted, then recovered, then sorrowed. Sometimes she got up from the bed, walked this way and that way, sat down or lay down. You know, she was overcome by sex desire. This abnormal condition of her body and mind increased daily, so much so that her soft bed felt like a bed of thorns. Delicious fruits and water taste like poison. Her house seemed like a desert. Her soft, delicate cloth felt hot like fire and the vermilion mark on her forehead pained like a boil. 
these are extraordinary symptoms of you know desire in her dreams she saw a nicely dressed smiling jolly youth uh, she he, she had dreams now she saw a nicely dressed smiling jolly youth he was adorned with jewels besmeared with sandal paste and garlanded with flowers gazing at her face he spoke to her affectionately and embraced and kissed her repeatedly one moment he went away the next moment he returned then she cried out oh lord of my heart where are you going please don't go when she awakened she wept again and again in this way tulsi devi passed her days at badrikashram so the first chapter was tulsi's appearance second chapter was her austerities third chapter the birth of shankachuda now shankachuda comes into the picture this story the whole story is so enchanting uh, it is just so gripping this whole story chapter 3 the birth of shankachuda the great and uh, the sage kashyapa was the son of the prajapati marichi uh, Mar- marichi was uh, the son of uh, brahma and kashyapa was the son of the marichi and therefore the grandson of brahma and was very learned daksha another prajapati gave him 13 of his daughters in marriage one of kashyapa muni's wives was known as danu uh, her her children was uh, were danavas all the demons and diti's sons were all daityas also demons whereas aditi's sons were all adityas demigods she was very attractive danu was very attractive and chaste and kashyapa cared for her with love and devotion danu bore many mighty sons one of whom was viprachiti she actually had 60 sons one of whom was viprachiti who was exceedingly powerful and courageous his son dambha was self control and a great devotee of lord vishnu although he was born as a danava demon family but he was a great devotee like just like prahlad maharaj also uh, but he could not beget a son so he became anxious therefore to improve the situation he went to the pushkar forest and performed severe austerity for 100000 years you know not just you know one two years or one week you know we are only uh, you know shaking because of a lockdown for one month they were locked down they locked voluntarily locked themselves for 100000 tulsi devi for 100000 celestial years and just not locked down and sit in one place fire all around sun and then icy waters in the winter and then fasting like anything and how many thousands and tens of thousands of celestial years so he went for austerity for 100000 years in the pushkar forest there sitting in a steady posture and uttering the krishna mantra he practiced japa while practicing that means after 100000 years an intolerable effulgence shot out from dambha's head and spread everywhere from the head such a severe glow of was coming out that you know it was it was like a sun you know he was like a sun uh, it was so hot that all the demigods sages and manus were scorched by it thus with indra leading they all sought shelter of lord brahma whenever the demigods have any problem they go to brahma and brahma will go to vishnu and vishnu will settle the matter so arriving at lord brahma's abode they praised him and then informed him of the situation after hearing about it lord brahma to relate the problem to lord vishnu led them to vaikuntha see there with palms joined reverentially they praised the great savior and lord of the three worlds how they praise they chant the purusha sukta prayers the demigods then asked oh lord we do not know what has caused this please tell us what is that light by which we have been scorched lord vishnu laughed and lovingly said <laughs> oh demigods do not be afraid remain calm and unshaken no flood will occur and it is not the time of universal dissolution why he said flood when there was fire 
because this is the um, sequence of events when the universe is, gets destroyed. First, there will be scorching. Uh, the sun becomes 12 times its size and 12 times as hot. And the entire, all the planets, all the oceans will be dried up, completely dried up, not a single droplet of water anywhere. All the water evaporated, where it goes? They become clouds and they become the Samvartaka cloud. The Samvartaka cloud is the cloud which is uh, summoned at the time of devastation of the entire universe. And all the water goes up into clouds and pours down so hard that by the force of the drops, the planets become dissolved, you know, into like dust, such huge, each one droplet, you know, just like, you know, the drop is like this thick when it rains, this thing, one drop will be like elephants, elephants, big, big elephants, and not like some normal elephants, big elephants, one, one drop, dum, 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 if you hit the planet like that, all the planet, you know, will be just like into dust, so like that, the entire universe will be dissolved. So that's why he said, and then the Garbodaka ocean will be completely, there will be a huge flood and the entire planetary systems will be submerged. So therefore, he said, no flood will occur from, and it is not the time of universal dissolution. The Asura Dambha, one of my devotees, is performing asceticism to obtain a son. I shall soon bless him and that will quiet him. <coughs> Encouraged by this, Lord Brahma and other demigods return to their own realms. Lord Vishnu then went to Pushkara, where Dambha was practicing austerity. Seeing that Dambha was repeating his name, he, the Lord consoled him and asked, What blessing do you want me to grant you? Dambha offered his obeisances with great devotion and praised the Lord repeatedly. Then he said, O Lord of Lords, O Lotus Eyed One, obeisances unto you. O Lord of Lakshmi, O Lord of the Three Worlds, please be merciful to me. Please give me four conditions, he said. He wanted a son with four conditions. Please give me a powerful and courageous son who will be your devotee be invincible to the demigods and be the conqueror of the three worlds. This he, he wanted a son to be all of this. Lord Vishnu asked Dambha to stop his austerity, granted him the blessing and disappeared. As the Lord vanished, Dambha offered obeisance in that direction and returned home. Within a short while, his blessed wife became pregnant. See, although he had no son for so long, after Lord Vishnu's blessing, he, the wife became pregnant. She radiated, she radiated an effulgence that illuminated the inner apartment of her residence. The soul residing in her womb was Sudama, one of Lord Krishna's leading cowherd companions who had been cursed by Srimati Radharani. So that Sudama has now come into the womb of this uh, wife of Dambha. When Dambha's chaste wife gave birth to a radiant looking son, Dambha invited the sages to his place and had the postnatal rites performed. There was great jubilation and on a favourable day, the father named him Shankhachuda. The son grew up in his father's residence like the moon in its bright half. In his childhood, that means his beauty was increasing and increasing and increasing. In his childhood, he learned all the traditions and customs, injunctions and prohibitions and became resplendent. So, he, was, he became perfect in the Vedic study and everything. What is all required, he, he did everything nicely. Engaging in childhood play, he delighted his parent, parents and became the favourite of all the family members. Later on, to obtain a boon from Lord Brahma, Shankachuda performed an austerity in Pushkara for a long while. So, same, where, same place where his father performed, he also went to Pushkar forest and he also did austerity. He concentrated his mind, restrained his senses and organs of action and chanted a mantra that his preceptor, 
जाएगी सव्या जाएगी सव्या वॉज हिज टीचर ही गेव हिम समंथ्रा सो ही चैंटेड दट मंथ्रा फाइनली लॉर्ड ब्रह्मा वेंट टू शंकचूड एंड टू ग्रांट हिम ए ब्लेसिंग लॉर्ड ब्रह्मा आज टेल मी वॉट बोन यू वॉन्ट Seeing Lord Brahma, the Dhanava king bowed to him humbly and praised him with devotional words. Then he said, "Please make me invincible to the demigods and also enable me to marry Tulasi." Brahma replied, "So be it." Then he gave Shankarachara the divine amulet of Lord Sri Krishna. This amulet, called Sarvamangalmaya, conqueror of the world, was considered the most auspicious of all auspicious things in the world, for it guaranteed victory everywhere. See, there was this amulet. Anyone who has this will be the conqueror of the entire world. You see, there is this um, the Lord of the Rings. The the ring, you know, whoever has the ring, he will be the Lord of the world. Where did they get this idea? See, none none of these ideas can happen without them already being in existence before. The authors, although they may imagine some novels and comics and all these stories, like Harry Potter and all these things. all the wands on the magic and everything all that is already there it's already there in other words we cannot imagine anything that is outside of krishna's creation it is not possible so however much the like even the spider man the batman the, the ant man there is such planets kinnara kimpurusha loka where where the beings are half man and half animal there is spider man there is batman everyone every, everyone is there there are there uh, so or even though it is out of experience on this planet but it cannot be really out of krishna's creation the mind cannot be something can create something outside of krishna's creation so this lord of the rings you know they have a similar idea but here we already have a story like that you see so we don't need to read lord of the rings all the things that these novels offer we already have in our shastras so just read our shastras everything is there <laughs> even you want some gripping very very nice story everything is here actually this story is so beautiful it gets very violent and becomes very very i mean it has everything adventure you know uh, romance everything that people want to usually hear about everything is here so this amulet called sarvamangalmay conqueror of the world was considered the most auspicious of all auspicious things in the world and it was amulet of krishna and it guaranteed victory everywhere Brahma continued now you should go to Badrikashram Tulsi Devi is performing penance there by her own will you should marry her there she is the daughter of king king dharmadhaja lord brahma then disappeared so in this way he said now tulsi is there in badrikashram you go there and marry her lord brahma then disappeared shankachura whose austerity has now borne fruit at pushkara tied that most precious amulet round his neck He then set out for Badrikashram. His face beaming with joy. Chapter four. Tulsi Devi tests King Shankarachura. <laughs> Very interesting chapter. Tulsi saw Shankarachura approaching in his jeweled airplane and noticed that he was in the prime of his youth. So Tulsi saw, oh, he was coming in his jeweled airplane. Not airplane that makes noise, quiet, you know. <clears throat> and he no- she noticed that he was in the prime of his youth he was handsome like cupid white complexion like the champaka flower and decorated with gems his face <coughs> resembled the full moon of autumn <coughs> his eyes looked like lotuses in full bloom and his cheeks flashed with the glow of his earrings 
You know, his cheeks flashed with the glow of his earrings. A parijat flower garlanded his neck. Musk and saffron anointed his body. And sandal paste perfumed his person. Just imagine, a personality so beautiful. <clears throat> As he came closer, Tulasi hid her face in her shawl and smiled at him with sidelong glances. Sidelong glances means looking like that from the side. So she was blushing. So blushing at the thought of this first meeting, she bowed her head nervously and eagerly drank in with her eyes the lotus of his face. So the Kamadev is acting now. Shankachuda also gazed at Tulasi, seated as she was on, her, on a lovely bed, strewn with flowers and sandalwood. Her teeth shone uh, like pearls, her lips were like bimba fruit, her nose was graceful and her complexion golden. She resembled, she resembled the autumnal moon. Adding to her grace, just below the parting of her hair was the mark of sandal paste and musk, and just below them a mark of vermilion. She had a low yet deep navel. And below it, three lovely abdominal folds. That's to see Radha Madhavan. So he saw her full beauty, you know. She had a low yet deep navel, and below it, three lovely abdominal folds. Her palms were reddish, her fingernails were glowing, her feet were radiant and crimson, colored with lac dye. Her glowing toenails surpassed the glow of the autumnal, autumn moon, giving her an unrivaled beauty. Tulsi was decorated with lovely jingling ornaments and the knot of hair at the back of her head was decorated with a jasmine wreath. Shark-shaped earrings adorned her cheeks while a diamond necklace beautified her breast. She wore gorgeous bangles of conch on her arms and wrists as well as precious jewels on her fingers. Shankachuda sat down and said to her, O beautiful girl, whose daughter are you? And how have you come to this forest? You look most fortunate and blessed. Indeed, you are the personification of heavenly joy, the best of women. You are a model of loveliness and can certainly bewilder even the saints. So nowadays they have this Miss World and Miss Universe. They look like crap, you know. But here, this is real beauty of a uh, Tulusi. Hmm. Compared to that, uh, they say Miss Universe. What is the difference between Miss World and Miss Universe? I mean, as if they have travelled the whole universe, all the planets, and saw all the women of the entire universe, and then they judge that this this woman in this horrible earth uh, is a beautiful woman uh, more than all the heavenly uh, girls. Come on, you know. So, uh, this is heavenly beauty. Um, When Tulsi gave no reply, he, he, he glorified her, Shankachuda glorified her. You know, you are the best of women, you are a model of loveliness and can certainly bewilder even the saints. Uh, sadhus also can fall down when they see you. <laughs> when Tulsi gave no reply, he asked, Oh gracious one, why don't you speak? I am your servant. You see how he became handpicked already. So please greet me with the melody of your speech. You know, these are all, you know, lusty talks. <clears throat> Her head lowered, her face smiling, the beautiful-eyed Tulasi said, I am the daughter of King Dharmadvaja and have been practicing asceticism here. But who are you? And why are you talking to me? If a nobleman sees a virtuous woman alone, he does not talk to her. So go away, wherever you please. This is a classic woman talk. 
you know, when a woman says something, it is to be understood that she means the opposite. Especially when it comes to all these romantic talks. She will say one thing, but the exact opposite is what she means. <laughs> so, this is also found in the behavior of Tulsi. But Shankashuda did not move. Then Tulsi continued. This is very interesting. Her argument, you see her argument. Tulsi continued. Hmm, the Shastras say that only a degraded man desires a woman. At first, a woman is sweet to a man, but later proves fatal. Though her mouth rains honey, her heart is just like a jar of poison. She uses sweet words, but her heart is sharp like a razor. To achieve her own selfish ends, she is submissive to her husband. Otherwise, she is unsubmissive. While her face looks cheerful, her heart is dirty. Even the Vedas and the Puranas cannot fathom her character. A wise man never trusts a base woman. She has no friend or enemy. For all she wants are new lovers. When a woman sees a well-dressed man, she inwardly desires him, but outwardly she appears chaste and modest. You know, you see her behavior is contradicting her actual feelings. That's why there is some jokes, you know. Uh, they, instead of, they say instead of translator, uh, they, they say manslator. Manslator means um, to translate what the woman actually is feeling. She says one thing, then you lead a manslator to, to <laughs> get, uh, I mean, a man to understand what she's actually saying. What she's saying is not what she actually is saying. You know, it is, uh, it is different. So, one should be expert to understand. <coughs> so, uh, where are we? Yes. Uh, when a woman sees a well-dressed man, she inwardly desires him, but outward she, outwardly she appears chaste and modest. She is naturally passionate, attracts minds, men, uh, men's minds, and eagerly engages in sex. Though outwardly she hides her lust and appears modest, when she meets her lover in secret, she is ready to swallow him up. <laughs> hmm. When she does not have sex with him, she feels offended. Her body burns with anger and she begins to quarrel. When her passions are fully satisfied, she becomes cheerful. When unsatisfied, morose. So, um, you see, Sulisi is giving a whole uh, breakdown of the woman's psychology. Um, you know how this, that's why this whole, um, it is said that a woman is eight to nine times more lustier than a man. You know, eight to nine times more lusty than a man. Oh, this sound. Uh, so, although it looks like the woman is modest and she's shy, a woman is actually four times more shy than the man, but eight times more lusty than the man. So, this is said by Chanakya Pandit and also in the Bhagavatam also it is there, where Devahuti, Kardamamuni expanded himself into nine forms to satisfy Devahuti's lust. And like, because of that, she had uh, nine daughters. And after that, uh, she got a son who was Lord Kapila, who is the incarnation of Krishna. So, um, so this is the psychology. And then she even continues more. A woman likes a good lover more than sweet foods or refreshing drinks. She likes him even more than her own son. He is dearer to her than her life. But if the lover becomes important or aged, she regards him as an enemy. Quarrels and anger ensue. Then she devours him as a snake eats a rat. She is rashness personified and a mine of vices. 
a woman is hypocritical obstinate and unfaithful even lord brahma and other gods are deluded by her she is a hindrance on the path of austerity an obstacle to liberation an impediment to developing faith in lord hari a refuge of all delusion and living you see and a living chain that binds men to the world she is a living chain chain is usually dead right it's <laughs> but a woman is a living chain that binds men to the world she is like a magician and is as false as dreams she appears to be very beautiful but she is a bucket of stool urine gas and blood when god created her he arranged that she would become the spirit of delusion to the deluded and poison to those who desire liberation thus on no account should a woman be desired and by all means she should be avoided see how she spoke to this is the first date you know they have a first date you know how to make first date this was the first date tulsi's first date with uh, shankachuda and this is what she talked shankachuda you see the reply of shankachuda now shankachuda smiled and then answered <clears throat> oh goddess what you have said is not completely false it is partly true and partly false from the creator have come chaste and unchaste women one is praiseworthy the other isn't examples of chaste women are lakshmi saraswati durga savitri and radha women who are expansions of them <clears throat> are auspicious glorious and very commendable such as shatrupa shatrupa is the wife of swayambhuva manu the first manu devahuti swadha swaha dakshina anasuya ganga diti aditi vedavati etc in every yuga cycle these women are excellent even sita mandodari also the heavenly prostitutes are also expansions and partial expansions of the above women but they are not praiseworthy because they are unchaste women who are in the mode of goodness are virtuous and pure the sages declare them to be excellent but those who are in the mode of modes of passion and ignorance are not so praiseworthy the passionate ones are fond of sense pleasures indulge in them and always want to fulfill their selfish goals such women are usually insincere deluded and irreligious generally they are unchaste but women in the uh, women in the mode of ignorance are considered the worst they are irresistible hmm you know those women who are you know irresistible they you know they show off their body and you know like men all oh you know they are lost with the beauty of that woman so called nakedness they are actually women in the mode of ignorance a virtuous man would never court another man's wife in either public or private but i have come to you by lord brahma's command to marry you according to the gandharva rite so there are different type of vivaha vivaha means marriage so one vivaha is the arranged marriage another vivaha is rakshasa vivaha which is uh, you kidnap the girl the man kidnaps the girl and then he for marries her by force against her family's desires and rukmini actually asked krishna to come and uh, kidnap her and marry her by rakshasa vivaha method <laughs> because her father rukmini was uh, her brother rukmini and her father uh, bhishmaka they were trying to arrange her marriage with shishupala and rukmini did not did not like shishupala at all she wanted only um, krishna so she wrote she wrote a love letter to krishna in that letter she said please come and kidnap me and marry me in the rakshasa vivaha method by kidnapping me from this so and gandharva vivaha means no ceremony nothing directly have sex finish that that is the marriage that is the union that's it that is gandharva vivaha so brahma ordered shankachoda to marry tulsi by gandharva vivaha 
So, I have come to you by Lord Brahma's command to marry you according to the Gandharva rite. In this, the bride and bridegroom meet each other of their own accord, not even the parents' consent, nothing is involved, and consummate their meeting in sexual union. No sacred rituals are necessary. So, this is Gandharva Vivaha. There are different types of Vivaha procedures. So, this is one of them also mentioned in the Vedas. My name is Shankachuda. When the demigods see me, they flee in fear. In my previous birth, I lived in Goloka, Goloka and, and was a cowherd boy named Sudama. I was a close friend of Sri Krishna's and one of his attendants. I am one of I was one of his attendants. I was one of the eight celebrated cowherd boys. You know, out of all the millions and trillions of cowherd boys, the closest eight inner circle of Krishna, he was one of them. How great he is, you see. And he was just a cowherd boy. In this world, he was an invincible warrior. Demigods, demons, nobody could face him. Even later you will see Kali also cannot face him. Hmm. So anyway, here. I was one of the eight celebrated cowherds. Then Srimati Radharani cursed me to be born in India, in Bharatvarsh, in a demon family. By Krishna's grace and by his mantra, I am a Jatismara. That is, I know the history of my previous birth. You also are a Jatismara. So, you know that in your previous birth in Goloka, when Radharani caught you alone with Krishna, she became angry and cursed you to be born here in India. In Goloka, I, was, I very much wanted to consort with you, but because I feared Radharani, I did not do so. Shankachura stopped talking. Then Tulasi smiled and cheerfully said, Persons like you are famous in this world and good women desire such husbands. You have defeated me in argument. A man who is conquered by a woman is very impure and condemned by people in general. You see, Tulasi is saying, A man who is conquered by a woman is very impure and condemned by people in general. The forefathers and the demigods regard men who are conquered by women as low and contemptible. Even their fathers and mothers mentally despise them. <laughs> the Vedas say that when a child is born or a relative dies, the Brahmanas are purified in 10 days. You know, in 10 days, there is, uh, you know, impure period for Brahmanas. So, when somebody dies, relative dies in the family, the Brahmanas, they become purified after 10 days. The Kshatriyas in 12 days, the Vaishyas in 15 days and the Shudras as well as other low classes in 21 days. But a man conquered by a woman always remains impure. Only when his body is burned to ashes does he become purified. That means there is absolutely no chance. Neither the ancestors nor the demigods accept from him offerings of cakes, flowers, etc. Even the demigods and ancestors don't accept anything, you see, of a, of a hand-packed man. Uh, that's why the woman usually is in the mode of passion and ignorance. And man is supposed to be in the mode of goodness, who is properly trained in brahmacharya life and spiritual culture. If he is not, he is also in the mode of passion and ignorance. That's why the whole world, the marriages are not lasting because none of them know the aim of life, none of them know the rules of marriage, they just want to have sex and you know, that's it. So that's why there is no meaning to marriage now, almost. It, has, it is becoming like that. Uh, but the man is supposed to be in the mode of goodness and he should guide the woman who is usually naturally in the mode of passion. And if she follows the direction of a, of a husband in the mode of goodness, she also will rise to the mode of goodness. And if she had a father who was in the mode of goodness and trained her nicely, then she would be in the mode of goodness and she would desire a good husband in the mode of goodness as well. But she can become polluted by the modes of passion and ignorance very, very easily. And 
if that is the case, then there's not much hope, you know. Uh, so men whose hearts are totally conquered by women acquire no fruits from their knowledge, austerities, japa, fire sacrifices, worship, learning or fame. So even if one does all these things, but if he is under the control of the woman, he's not, you know, it's not um, a good thing. So in other words, husband should be the guru for the wife, you know, and he should lead the wife to Krishna consciousness. That is the proper setting. Now, I, st- I tested you to determine how strong you are in knowledge. One should choose one's husband by examining a man's merits and defects. If one gives his daughter in marriage to a man devoid of all good qualifications, or to an old man, to a man who is ignorant or poor, illiterate, diseased, ugly, wrathful, harsh, lame, limbless, deaf, dumb, inactive, or impotent, this sin is equivalent to the sin of murdering a Brahmana. But if one gives his daughter in marriage to a young Vaishnava who is learned, well qualified and peaceful, one acquires the fruits of performing ten horse sacrifices, Ashwamedha Yajnas. If one raises a daughter and then sells her out of greed for profit, he falls to the hell known as Kumbhipaka. There, for a period equal to 14 of Lord Indra's lifespan, that means one whole day of Brahma, 4.32 billion years, such a sinner has to drink his daughter's urine and eat her stool, as well as be bitten by worms and crows. When this period ends, he is not finished, he has to be born in this world as a diseased person and earn his livelihood by selling and carrying meat. You see, if a father fails to give his daughter to a proper Vaishnava, this is going to happen. One day of Brahma, 4.32 billion years of Kumbhipaka, Boiling oil, you know, boiling oil, cooked in boiling oil for 4.2 billion years. And also he is fed, what? Urine and stool of his daughter. And bitten by worms and crows. And after all that finished, he will be born as a diseased person and earn his livelihood by selling and carrying meat. Chapter 5. Tulasi marries Shankachuda. When Tulasi Devi stopped speaking, Lord Brahma suddenly appeared there. <laughs> After Shankachuda and Tulasi offered him their respects, Lord Brahma said, O Shankachuda, why are you wasting your time in such empty talks with Tulasi? Marry her now by the Gandharva rites. As you are a gem among males, she is a gem among females. When a clever couple marry, the union is very happy. And who would abandon happiness when it is at hand? Anyone, anyone who would do so is worse than a beast. And you, Tulasi, why are you testing this noble and qualified person who can subdue both the gods and the demons? Marry Shankasura just as Lakshmi is married to Narayana, Radhika to, Radhika to Krishna, my Savitri to me, Sachi to Indra and Aditi to, Aditi, Aditi to Kashipa. Stay with the handsome Shankasura for a long time and as you like, wander with him to various places. When Shankasura leaves his body, you will return to Goloka and get Krishna as your husband. Lord Brahma then blessed them and returned to his own abode. <laughs> so Brahma was like, Come on, you know, stop talking. As if you, you are testing each other, but both of you already decided in your hearts that you are going to marry. What is the use of all these empty talks? Come on, stop it. They, you know, this kind of things happen, you know, test, you know. Actually, they already given their hearts already. So, <laughs> he said, come on, give up all the nonsense. Marry and, you know, go on. Anyway, you are all, both of you are devotees coming from Goloka. There is no loss. After this, you will go back to Goloka. What is there, you know, testing and this and that? Come on, get, get on with your lives. <laughs> then Shankachura then married Tulasi by the Gandharva rite. That means directly they had sexual union. And in this way they enjoyed <coughs> each other. 
Glorifying the marriage, the demigods sounded their drums and showered flowers on them from the sky. Sometimes a newly married couple would go to a flower grove and at other times to a river bank. There they would sleep on flower beds smeared with sandal paste and enjoy marital pleasures. Tulasi easily stole the heart of her husband. Tulasi easily stole her, the heart of her husband and Shankachuda also attracted Tulasi's heart. After Tulasi garlanded her husband with Parijat flowers which prevented disease and old age, she placed a precious jewel ring on his finger and offered him rare beautiful gems. Bowing down to his feet with devotion, she repeatedly said, I am at your service. Shankachuda smiled. He then presented Tulasi with clothes, clothes he had obtained from Lord Varuna's house. He also gave her a precious necklace of jewels, an armlet he had gotten from Swaha, Agni's wife, armlets from Chaya, the sun god's wife, earrings from Rohini, the moon god's wife, finger rings from Rati, Cupid's wife, uh, conch ornaments from Vishwakarma, the celestial architect, as well as excellent bedding adorned with pearls and jewels. After further adorning her, he placed her feet on his chest and said, I am your servant. (laughs) They left the hermitage and began to travel to various places. They went to different mountains, flower gardens, caves, beaches, riversides and forests. Wherever they went, they enjoyed each other's company with great satisfaction, never tiring of one another. Shankachura then brought Tulasi to his own kingdom and there they continued to delight in each other's company. <clears throat> Chapter 6 Lord Vishnu Helps the Demigods Shankachura enjoyed his kingdom for one Manvantara. I do not know why it is said 4,320,000 years because a Manvantara is not this period. It is 71 times this period. 71 times 4,320,000 years is actually one one Manvantara. But here it is uh, written wrongly. So, Shankashoda enjoyed his kingdom for one Manvantara. How long is that? You know, it's not, it's a short while. And during that period, gained control over all the Devas, Dhanavas, Gandharvas, Kinnaras and Rakshasas. He dispossessed the gods of their realms and privileges, depriving them of their rights with respect to worship and offerings and seized their weapons and ornaments. Consequently, they wandered about the universe like helpless beggars. <laughs> he made the demigods a helpless beggars. You know, he completely conquered them. <clears throat> they were wandering about the universe like helpless beggars. Finally, they united in a group and went to Lord Brahma's assembly, <clears throat> sobbing, I mean, crying, you know. They related the whole story of how Shankachuda had oppressed them. Lord Brahma took them to Lord Shiva's realm and related to Shiva the details of the case. Lord Shiva then took all, <coughs> took them all to the highest place, Vaikuntha, where there is neither old age nor death. <coughs> As they approached the first gate, they saw the watchman guarding the gate and sitting on jeweled seats. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> so, the watchmen had beautiful dark blue bodies and looked effulgent. They had smiles on their faces, lotus-like eyes and four arms, each hand holding a conch, mace, disc and lotus flower. <coughs> they wore yellow garments, were, were decorated with jewel ornaments and were garlanded with forest flowers. Lord Brahma asked them for admittance and they nodded their approval. Then, after passing through 16 gates, the group finally arrived before Lord Narayana. Sixteen gates. Sometimes it is said there are seven gates to Vaikuntha. 
here it appears that there are 16 such gates and finally they arrived before Lord Narayana. The assembly hall was filled with saints and four-armed attendants who resembled Narayana and were wearing Kaustubha jewels. Kaustubha jewels. <coughs> the assembly hall was so brilliant with rays of light that it appeared as though the moon had just arisen. By Lord Narayana's mercy, there were diamonds, gems and necklaces of jewels placed in various areas. In some spots, there were rows of pearls that shed their splendor and brilliance and in other spots, there were mirrors arranged in a circle. In certain areas, there were jewels called Padmaragas, which, are, which were artistically arranged to appear like lotuses, appearing, uh, spreading their radiant beauty everywhere. There were rows of steps made of Syamantaka jewels. Throughout the hall were wonderful pillars built of Indranila jewels. Indranila jewel is a blue, kind of, like a sapphire. There were sandal leaves strung high from pillar to pillar. There were also golden jars full of water. All around were Parijat flower garlands, sweet-scented sandal trees and saffron and musk. The whole atmosphere was permeated with sweet fragrances. The Vidyadharas were dancing in one area. The assembly hall measured 8,000 miles in circumference. It's not just an assembly hall like, you know, a temple room like this, a small or your, your uh, you know, living room. 8,000 miles in circumference. All over, numerous servants were engaged in various services. Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva and other demigods saw Lord Hari, Narayana, sitting in the center on a precious jewel throne. He looked like the moon surrounded by many stars. He was wearing a crown on his head, earrings, a wildflower garland round his neck and sandal paste on his body. Holding a lotus in his hand, he was smiling, watching the dancers and listening to the music. Um, their dances and music are all in glorification of the Lord. He looked very tranquil. Lakshmi was gently holding his feet and he was chewing the sweet-scented beetle she had given him. Ganga was fanning him devotedly with a white chamara and others were singing hymns to him with their heads lowered in devotion. See the opulence of Narayana, you know, the opulence, unmatched opulence. Lord Brahma and the other gods offered their obeisances to Lord Vishnu. As they did, their hairs stood on end, tears flowed from their eyes and their voices were choked with emotion. Then Lord Brahma, his hands clasped and his head bowed, informed the Lord about Shankachura's doings. Lord Hari smiled and said, O lotus-born, I know all about Shankachura. In his previous birth, he was my great devotee, a very energetic cowherd boy in Goloka. I will tell you something about him which is quite sanctifying. His name was Sudama and he was my chief attendant. He is now a Dhanava because in Goloka, Radha pronounced a terrible curse on him. Here is how it happened. <coughs> One day, I left Radha's company and went to the Rasa dance area with the gopi named Viraja. <coughs> Radha soon heard from one of her maid servants that I had flirted with Viraja. Blinded with fury, she hastened there with her attendants to see if this were true. <coughs> Seeing that it was, Radha immediately converted Viraja into a river. You know. Sorry. <clears throat> so, Viraja is the river that separates the material and the spiritual worlds. The material world is on this side of the Viraja river. The spiritual world is on the other side of the Viraja river. 
so it is also called the karana ocean because this river is not just a river like you know like a 100 meters in width it is immeasurably wide so it is just like an ocean so it is also called the causal ocean so radharani cursed viraja to become a river <coughs> <laughs> I myself disappeared. So Radha rushed home angry with her, angrily with her attendants. Krishna, what he did? He disappeared from there. When Radharani was angry, he, he did not mess around with her. Later, when I was with Sudama and she saw me, Radha rebuked me very much. However, I remained silent. But Sudama could not tolerate this. So he rebuked Radha in my very presence. This was quite intolerable to her dignity. Her eyes became red with anger and she immediately ordered thousands of her attendants to drive him away. Sudama then trembled with fear. As Radha's attendants tried to drive him away, he resisted and repeated his reproaches against her. He scolded, continued scolding her. When she heard them, she cursed him saying, May you be born in the womb of a Dhanavi, a demon woman. Sudama bowed down to me and crying began to leave. You know, it was very heart-rending. Sudama, when he heard the curse, he was crying and he bowed down to Krishna and began to leave because he only defended Krishna and Radharani just cursed him and he was crying. But Radha, who is quite merciful, began to melt. Weeping, she tried repeatedly to, to stop him from leaving. Wait, wait, where are you going? You don't have to go. Please come back, she called. She cursed him and <laughs> now she said, no, 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 don't go. She became distressed. And her attendants and the cowherd boys began to weep. So, Radharani began to cry. All the cowherd boys began to cry. I then explained to them, in, a, in about half a moment, Sudama will return, having fulfilled the conditions of the curse. In a half a moment, he will return. Of course, a half moment here is equal to about one manmantra on earth. Again, it is said here 4,320,000 years, which is not true. One, man, one manmantra is 71 times 4,320,000. 4,320,000 years is one cycle of the four yugas, one Divya Yuga. That is this 4,320,000. And 71 cycles is one manmantra. So, half moment in Krishna's abode is one manmantra on earth. I then call to Sudama. Oh Sudama, when the curse expires, please come back here. It was only half a moment there. O oh, demigods, that expert mystic and that expert mystic and devotee Shankachura will return to Goloka. Therefore, O oh gods, take my trident. He gave them a Trishul and go quickly to Bharatvarsha, India. Here it is said India, but of course he did not use the word India. He said Bharatvarsha. Because at that time not only India was Bharat, the whole planet was Bharatvarsha, the entire earth. Take my Trishul and go to Bharatvarsh. Lord Shiva will kill the Dhanava with the trident. The demon is wearing my auspicious amulet around his neck. It is called the conqueror of the world, Sarva Mangalmaya. You know, as long as he keeps wearing it, no one can kill him. So I will go to him disguised as a Brahmana and beg the amulet from him. But you have granted him the boon that he cannot die unless his wife's chastity is violated. Because Tulasi was very, very chaste to him. Unless her chastity is violated and and the amulet taken out from him, he cannot be killed, he cannot be defeated. Uh, but you have granted him the boon that he cannot die unless his wife's chastity is violated. I will take care of this as well. Then he, wish, he will surely die. Later, with, when his wife leaves her body, 
she will become my dearest wife. Narayana then gave Lord Shiva his trident. Chapter 7. Now it's 9.10. You will read uh, maybe three more chapters. Hopefully, I, can, I, I think. Chapter 7. An envoy sent to Shankachuda. Lord Brahma and the other demigods returned to their respective abodes. Later, to gain victory for the demigods, Lord Shiva pitched his big tent and camped on the banks of the Chandrabhaga river under a beautiful fig tree. So, Lord Brahma and other demigods returned to their respective abodes. Later, to gain victory for the demigods, Lord Shiva pitched his big tent and camped on the banks of the Chandrabhaga river under a beautiful fig tree. He then sent Pushpadanta, the leader of the Gandharvas, as a messenger to Shankachura. When Pushpadanta arrived at Shankachura capital, he noticed that it was more beautiful than Indra's realm and more opulent than Kuvera's. The city was 40 miles wide and 80 miles long. It was built of pearl and jewel crystals and on all sides there were roadways, seven inaccessible moats, one after another, one after another, surrounded the city. There were hundreds of shops full of trade articles and marketable com commodities. Palatial buildings of traders and merchants were all, all over. Thousands and thousands of beautiful buildings constructed with scarlet gems, inlaid with various ornaments and decorated with fancy articles, gave the place a boundless charm. The Gandharva chief saw that Shankachura's palace was spherical, like a sphere. You know, we have all these buildings nowadays with, you know, weird, weird shapes they are trying to build. It's not something new. He had a palace which was spherical, like the moon. Four successive moats with fiery flames encircled it. On top of the moat means... I hope you know what a moat is. It is a, it is a, it's like a pond that surrounds the entire. So it's like this: the palace is here, the land is here, surrounded by a whole circle of water. That is a moat. But here the moat is of fire. Moat. Oh, moat. Yeah, moat means water. And then again land, again moat, again land, again moat. So it is very inaccessible. Not very easy to come. And each moat were, ha were having fiery flames encircling it. On top of the palace were ramparts made of jewels that touched the sky. Ramparts means, you know, the, you know a fort. Will, you know, there's a wall and there will be these pillars. And pillars were very high ramparts, you know. On the top of the palace were ramparts made of jewels that touched the sky. The palace was inaccessible to enemies but offered no hindrance to friends. The twelve gates decorated with lotuses, jeweled mirrors, paintings and statues were guarded by twelve gatekeepers. On all sides, the place was protected by very powerful, graceful, well-dressed and richly adorned demons who were holding heavenly weapons in their hands. When Pushpadanta approached the first gate, he saw that it was guarded by a man who had a hideous face, copper complexion and tawny eyes and who was smiling and holding a trident in his hand. Pushpadanta explained to him the purpose of his mission, that he was a war ambassador and the guard allowed him to pass inside. The other gatekeepers did the same. At the last gate, he said to the guard, O guard, quickly inform your king that a war is about to occur. The guard did so and obtaining Shankachuda's permission, ushered the messenger inside. There, the Gandharva saw the well-formed, handsome demon seated in the center of the royal assembly on a golden throne. One attendant was holding a jeweled umbrella over the king's head while other attendants were fanning him with white chamaras, whisks. 
Countless demons surrounded him and armed guards walked here and there. Shankachura was beautifully dressed in heavenly garments, covered with garlands and anointed with fragrance. Seeing all this, Pushpadanta was thunderstruck and said to Shankachura, O king, I am, the, I am a messenger of Lord Shiva and my name is Pushpadanta. My lord has ordered me to tell you the following. The demigods have sought the protection of Lord Hari, so you had better restore to them their kingdoms and rights. Lord Hari has given his own trident to Lord Shiva and asked him to wage war against you if necessary. Presently, Lord Shiva is residing under the shade of a fig tree on the bank of the Pushpabhadra river. Either you must return to the demigods their property or you must be ready to fight with Lord Shiva. What shall I tell my lord is your reply. The demon laughed loudly and said, <laughs> You had better leave. I shall go to him in the morning. So he said, I will personally go and talk to Lord Shiva. You leave now. <laughs> the messenger returned to Lord Shiva and conveyed the demon's message. In the meantime, the following group of persons appeared before Lord Shiva. Kartika, Nandi, Mahakala, Bana, Manibhadra, the eight Bhairavas, the eleven Rudras, the eight Vasus, the twelve Adityas, Indra, Agni, Chandra, Vishwakarma, the two Ashwini Kumaras, Kuvera, Yama, <coughs> Jayanta, Nalakuvara, uh, Vayu, Varuna, Buddha, Mangala, Dharma, Shani, Kama, Ugrachanda, Kottari, uh, the hundred armed Bhadrakali, as well as many other personages. Bhadrakali also was there who is Durga herself, her ferocious form as Bhadrakali. Bhadrakali was seated on an excellent chariot. Her paraphernalia, clothing, garland and sandal paste were red. Inspiring her devotees with courage and infusing fear into the enemy, she began dancing, laughing and singing. Her rolling tongue and the skull she held in her hand were each eight miles in circumference. You know, it's not just small figure. Huge, the tongue was eight miles and the skull was eight miles in circumference. She carried a trident, an iron spear, conches, a wheel, mace, lotus, bow, and arrows, dumbbells, and a scimitar, thunder, the weapons of Vishnu and Varuna, a snake noose, the weapons of Agni, Narayana, Brahma, Gandharva, Garuda, Pashupata, um, a pestle, shield, staff, as well as other irresistible weapons. How many hands she must have had, you know? This fearsome goddess was accompanied by millions of devotee yoginis and dakinis and also countless ghosts, goblins and demons known as bhutas, pretas, pishachas, kushmandas, brahmarakshasas and rakshasas as well as yakshas and kinnaras. Then Kartikeya arrived and he bowed down to his father Lord Shiva who asked him to sit on his left side and help him. The army remained there in battle array. Kartikeya is the commander-in-chief of the demigods. Chapter 8. Shankachura consoles Tulasi. At the palace, the mighty Shankachura went to the woman's quarters and informed Tulasi about the imminent war. Hearing this, her palate, lips and throat became dry. With a sorrowful heart, she said to him, O oh my lord, my friend, my master, stay for a moment and sit within my heart. Fill me with your life for a moment. Uh, please satisfy my human desire. Let me gaze at you fully so that my eyes may be satisfied. My breathing is very agitated now, for at the end of night I had a very bad dream. Therefore, I feel a burning within myself. The king finished his meal and in truthful and beneficial words said to Tulasi, O my queen, when it is time to reap the results of one's past acts, one experiences good and evil, pleasure and pain, fear and sorrow. 
So when it is time for karma to act, it will act. If it is supposed to give you good results, it will give. If bad results, it will give. So you just have to accept it. In time, trees grow, branches develop, flowers blossom and fruits appear. In time, the fruitful tree decays. Similarly, in time, human beings grow and decline. In time, the creator creates, the preserver preserves and the destroyer destroys. This is the law of creation, preservation and destruction. Therefore, you should always adore Lord Krishna as he is the Lord of Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva. He is the creator, maintainer and destroyer. He has no beginning nor end and he does not depend on material nature. Lord Krishna by his own will has manifested nature with its animate and animate and inanimate objects. All things from Lord Brahma down to a blade of grass are artificial and temporary. In time they grow and decay. Thus it would be better for you to adore Radha's consort Lord Krishna who is distinct from the three modes of material nature, who is the super soul within all and the lord of all. Take shelter of Krishna for it is by his command that the wind blows swiftly, the sun radiates heat, Indra pours rain, death visits human beings, fire burns and the moon travels through the sky. Seek the supreme Krishna who is the death of death, the time of time, the creator of the creator, the preserver of the preserver and the destroyer of the destroyer. Take refuge in him. My, dear, my dearest, no one is a friend of anyone, but Lord Hari Krishna is the friend of all. Therefore, pray to him and serve him. See how, although he is a demon, you see how perfectly Krishna conscious he was. My love, who am I and who are you? By our karma, providence has united us. Providence will also separate us. When danger comes, only fools are disturbed. The wise are never thus shaken. Like wheels, pleasure and pain always revolve. In Badrikashram, you absorbed yourself in austerities to obtain Lord Narayana as your husband. Surely you will get him. I myself practiced austerities to obtain you as my wife and, Lord Brahma's, and by Lord Brahma's grace I have gotten you. Very soon you will get Govinda in Goloka Vrindavan. And when I leave my demoniac body, I too shall go there. In that realm, we will regularly see one another. By Radha's curse, I was born in the precious land of Bharat, but I will return to Goloka. Therefore, my dear, do not worry about me. You too will quit your human form and assume a spiritual form and go to Lord Hari. So you need not sorrow. Tulasi was thus consoled. In other words, Shankachoda was already getting prepared to die in the battle. But he was not giving up the battle because Kshatriyas, they never give up out of... Uh, you know, a fear. No, no. They are very happy. Hatova prapsasi svargam bhokshase mahim. So if they die, they go to heaven. If they, if they win the battle, they will enjoy the earth. In either way, nothing is to be feared. But of course, in this case, he will go back to Golok Vrindavan. Both will go, like, go back to Golok Vrindavan. <clears throat> so he was a Kshatriya and he was a warrior. He was not to be disturbed. Shankachura spent the night with Tulusi in the temple of gems, which was lit by diamond lamps. They rested on a nicely decorated bed, bed that was strewn with flowers and anointed with sandal paste. Then Tulusi, who had not eaten any food and thus looked thin, became overwhelmed with grief and began weeping. The king, who knew the truth about life, clasped her to his chest and again appeased her in various ways. The spiritual instructions he had received in Bhandira forest from Lord Krishna 
which were capable of destroying all sorrows and delusions, he now carefully conveyed to Tulasi. Upon, upon receiving them, her, her joy knew no bounds, for she realized that everything in this world is temporary. She and her husband then spent the remainder of the night in loving exchanges. Chapter 9. Shankachura prepares for war. At Brahma Muhurta, 48 minutes before sunrise, Shankachura got up from his flower-strewn bed. He discarded his night clothes, bathed in pure water, put on freshly washed clothing and smeared his body and forehead with bright tilak markings. So this is a Vaishnava's way. He, once he wakes up, and before Brahma Muhurta time, immediately one has to ba- take a shower and, you know, um, within, with pure water and, you know, get dressed nicely and put nice tilak. And he performed his necessary rites and worshipped his personal deity. Um, he worshipped Krishna's deity actually. He then saw such auspicious things as curd, ghee, honey, parched rice, etc. And as usual, distributed to the brahmanas the best jewels, pearls, clothing and gold. To make his departure for war favourable, he, he gave to his guru some pearls, gems and diamonds and gave to the poor some horses, elephants and cows. He then gave to the brahmanas a hundred storehouses. 3 lakhs, 300,000 of towns and 700,000 villages he gave in charity. He installed his son Suchandra as the acting king and entrusted to him the king, the, I mean the care of his family, kingdom, treasury, subjects, wealth, storehouses and conveyances. So he made all these arrangements. And please leave a comment down below if we should stop at 9.30 or go a little bit beyond as well. Let me know. Accordingly, we will proceed. <laughs> so, if not, we will stop at 9.30 or we can go up to 10 if you if you think. Then we will stop there. Uh, so, please let me know in the comment section. After this chapter is finished, I will go through the comments and see what you want. And according to popular uh, majority vote, we will decide what is to be done. Okay. Please leave a comment below. So he installed his son Suchandra as the acting king and entrusted to him the care of his family, kingdom, treasury, subjects, wealth, storehouses and conveyances. Shankachuda dressed himself for war and armed himself with bow and arrows. The king ordered the armies to gather. So 300,000 horses, 100,000 elephants, 10,000 chariots, 30 million uh, archers and 30 million armed soldiers and 30 million trident holders readied themselves for battle, not just a you know, small army. After counting his forces, the king appointed a Maharatha, an expert in the science of warfare, as commander-in-chief over 3 lakh Akshauhini forces. You know, 300,000 Akshauhinis. One Akshauhini is a whole army consisting of 109,000 foot soldiers, 65,610 horses, 21,870 chariots and 21,870 elephants. And that is one Akshavahini. And 300,000 Akshavahinis. To give you just an uh, uh, estimate, the Mahabharat war, Pandavas and Kauravas, the Pandavas had 7 Akshavahinis, the Kauravas had 11 Akshavahinis. Altogether was 18 Akshavahinis. And he had 300,000 Akshavahinis. Shankachura. Amazing. Ordering three Akshavahinis to beat war drums. Three Akshavahinis only to beat war drums. <laughs> he remembered Lord Hari and emerged from the pavilion. 
Shankachura rode on a fine chariot and headed by his guru and his elders, left for Lord Shiva's place. So he personally wanted to go and meet Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva at the time was staying on the banks of the Pushpabhadra river at Siddhashrama. This holy place was known to enable sadhus to easily attain perfection in yoga. It was here that Lord Kapila practiced asceticism and thus devotees of Lord Kapila went there and did the same. The place was bounded on the west by the western sea, on the east by the Malaya mountain range, on the south by the Sri Saila mountain and on the north by the Gandhamadan mountain. The Pushpabhadra river was 40 miles wide and 4,000 miles long. This auspicious river offered great spiritual merit and was always full of transparent, sparkling water. She is the favorite spouse of the Lavana ocean, a Lavana means salt, and is, indeed, as, and is indeed very sacred. This river issues from the Saraswati in the Himalayas and keeping the Gomati river on her left side, she eventually merges with the western ocean. So now chapter 10, Lord Shiva's council. So we will go to the comment section at this moment to see what devotees are wanting. Please continue till 10. Please continue till 10. We can go beyond Prabhu till 10. Super interesting presentation, so would love to go on. Continue till 10. I see all continue till 10. Okay, I think popular opinion, popular vote is for 10 o'clock. All right. Let us continue. Please continue. Oh, everybody is wanting to continue. Jai! Tulusi Marani ki jai! Okay, let's go. <clears throat> Lord Shiva's council. When the demon arrived there, he saw Lord Shiva sitting in a yogic meditation posture at the root of a fig tree. Looking as bright as a million suns, Lord Shiva was smiling. He appeared as though the infinite light were radiating from every pore of his body. He was wearing a tiger skin and holding a trident and axe. And his head was covered with bright bunches of matted hair. He had five faces and three eyes in each. And there were sacred snakes coiled around his snake. He was the death of death, Mrityu or Mrityu, the destroyer of the world and a powerful lord. His face was serene and beautiful. He immortalizes his devotees, awards the fruits of asceticism and is a source of prosperity. He destroys the world and rescues sinners from hell. Upon seeing Lord Shiva, Shankachuda got down from his chariot and with his entire army bowed low to him. He also saluted Bhadrakali who was on Lord Shiva's left side and Kartikeya, who was in, in the front. In response, they bestowed blessings on him. You see, there was complete respect, absolutely. So, this is Kshatriya, they, they do it out of duty, but there is complete respect. Even in the Pandava, the Mahabharata war, they, at, in the morning they fought to death, until death they fought. But in the night, they, the, the people can go in each, he, these people can go in the Pandava's camp and the Pandavas could go into Kaurava's camp. It was free and they, were, they could talk as friends. You know, so, and here also, complete etiquette was there. Shankasura bowed down to Lord Shiva and Bhadrakali and Kartikeya. He was also devotee, they were also devotees, they all knew. But out of duty, they had to fight. 
Nandi and other devotees of Lord Shiva got up and greeted him in a suitable manner. Sankachuda spoke cordially to them and then sat down beside Lord Shiva, who greeted him cheerfully and said, O King, Lord Brahma, the creator of the world and the father of religious duty, had a Vaishnava son named Marichi. So he started, Lord Shiva started counselling uh, Shankachuda. O King, Lord Brahma, the creator of the world and the father of religious duty, had a Vaishnava son named Marichi, who begat who begot in the virtuous Kashyapa. Daksha, another son of Lord Brahma, bowed to Kashyapa and gave him 13 daughters in marriage. Of these daughters, Danu, who was very blessed and chaste, gave birth to 40 sons. Oh, so 40, not 60. I earlier said 60. No, it is 40. So, Danu, the Danavas, 40 Danavas. <clears throat> they were all very spirited and are known as Danavas. Amongst them, Viprachiti was prominent. He was most valorous, pious and devoted to Lord Vishnu. His son's name was Dambha and he obtained Shukracharya as his guru. Following his teacher's advice, he worshipped Lord Krishna. Shukracharya asked him to worship Lord Krishna. This was well after Bali Maharaj episode. So, Shukracharya understood, you know, I should worship Lord Krishna, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Shukracharya advised him to worship Krishna at Pushkara by reciting the Krishna Mantra for 100,000 years. Consequently, by Lord Krishna's boon, he was able to get a son like yourself. In your former birth, in Goloka, you were very religious and were the chief cowherd friend of Lord Krishna. By Radha's curse, you have become lord of the demons here. But you are also a Vaishnava. And a Vaishnava regards everything from the form of Lord Brahma down to the form of a blade of grass as very illusory. Even if the four kinds of liberation are offered to him, namely Salokya, Sarshti, Sayujya and Samipya, to live on the same planet as Lord Vishnu, to have the same opulences as Lord Vishnu, to merge with Lord Vishnu and to have equal association with Lord Vishnu. And even another one is uh, Salokya, Sarshti, Sayujya, Samipya. Sarupya. Sarupya. Sarupya is missing here. Sarupya means to have the same bodily features as the Lord. So anyway... All these opulences, even if they are given, he does not care at all for them. He is only interested in serving Lord Vishnu. That is the real Vaishnava. And you are a perfect Vaishnava. You are Krishna's closest friend. Nor does a Vaishnava, nor does he care to have the position of Indra, Kuvera or Brahma, for he thinks them all insignificant. He only cares to worship and serve Lord Krishna. Now, you are a true Krishna devotee. Therefore, why do you care for those things that belong to the demigods and which are false to you. Better return to the demigods their kingdoms and please me by this act. Let the demigods be reinstated in their own positions and you govern your own kingdom happily. You are all descendants of Kashyapamani, so it is not reasonable for devotees to feud. In fact, the sin committed by killing a Brahmana is not even one-sixteenth as great as that of creating hostilities amongst one relatives. Unfortunately, in Kaliuga, all relatives are usually all having hostile relationships. <laughs> What to do? <clears throat> but uh, see how it is. <clears throat> Killing a Brahmana is not even one sixteenth as great a sin as that of creating hostilities among one's relatives. O king, pause. If you think that by restoring to the demigods their kingdoms you will lose prestige, you should also consider that no one's position is stable or unchanging. <clears throat> Similarly, your prestige also will go down anyway. <clears throat> and even if one is prestigious all the way until death, death will take away that prestige. 
So he's saying you should also consider that no one's position is stable or unchanging. When the world is completely dissolved, even Lord Brahma disappears. Then by the will of God, he subsequently reappears. And later, by virtue of his knowledge, he again creates everything. But the type of knowledge, intellect and memory that people receive depends on the amount of austerity they practiced in their previous births. Again, this is also conforming to the same thing that Kunti Devi said, Janmaishwarya Shurta Shribhir. Knowledge, intellect, memory, all this depends on the amount of austerity that they practiced in their previous births. Also consider this, he said, he continued. Truth is the support of dharma or virtue. In Satya Yuga, golden or truthful age, virtue is complete. In the Treta Yuga, silver age, it is reduced by one-fourth. In the Dvapara Yuga, copper age by one-half. In the Kali Yuga, iron age or quarrel <coughs> by three-fourths. And at the end of Kali Yuga, virtue becomes reduced even more like the moon on the dark moon night. He is saying these examples because everything will wane one day. You know. So your prestige, if you are worried about your prestige and your position, it is bound to wane. You know, all these examples are there. You know, he is giving all these examples. Or consider the sun. In the summer, its light is very intense, but not so in the winter. At noon, the sun is very hot, but not so in the morning and evening. In time, the sun rises. In time, it becomes powerful. And in time, it sets. By the working of time, it is obscured by clouds. Thus, uh, then consider the moon. When the moon is devoured by Rahu, as in a lunar eclipse, it trembles. When it is released, it becomes bright again. In the full moon night, it becomes full, but does not remain so. In the bright fortnight, it waxes daily, and in the, bri- in the dark fortnight, it wanes daily. In the bright fortnight, the moon looks healthy and rich, but in the dark fortnight, it looks decreasingly thinner, as if afflicted by consumption. Thus, at one time, the moon looks powerful, and at another time, it looks weak and pale. Similarly, Bali Maharaj is presently living in Pataralok. Actually, in another place, it is said, in Bhagavatam, it is said Sutalalok. So anyway, he was living in one of the lower planets, one of the planets beneath the earth. But at that time, but at another time, he will become the lord of the demigods. See, Bali Maharaj is presently living in Pathalok, but at another time, he will become the lord of the demigods. In fact, it is said that he will become in the next Indra, in the next Manmantra age, in the Savarni. Now is the Vaivasvata Manu, then Savarni Manu, is the eighth Manu, Savarni. He will become Indra at that time. At one time, the earth is lush with grains and, and is the resting place of all beings, but at another time, it becomes covered with water. The entire world, including everything moving and non-moving, appears at one time and disappears at another. Only Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, remains the same. It is by His grace that I obtained the name Mrityunjaya, the conqueror of death. I have witnessed many dissolutions of the world and I shall continue to witness them. Lord Krishna is both material nature and the Supreme Being. He is the individual soul as well as the supreme soul. Though he assumes many forms, he is beyond those forms. Whoever repeats his name and sings his glories can conquer death. And he does not come under the influence of birth, death, disease, old age and fear. Lord Krishna has created Brahma, the creator. He has created the Vishnu, the preserver and me, the destroyer. By his will, we possess those potencies and influences. O king, I have delegated Kala, Agni and Rudra to do the work of destruction. Whereas I myself only repeat his name and sing his glories incessantly day and night. You see, this is very important to know. So, Lord Shiva, he delegated his work, his demigod work, all his work in relation to the universe to Kala, because uh, Kal Bhairav, you know, he is called Kal Bhairav. He destroys everything. So, Kala, time does that. He, he delegated that to the time, Kala. And Agni, fire, destruction. 
and Rudra. All these are actually marks of destruction. All these are symbols of destruction. Time, fire and Rudra, anger. So, he, I have delegated Kala, Agni and Rudra to do the work of destruction. Shiva said, I actually don't really perform the work of destruction. I have delegated. What I do? Whereas I myself only repeat his name, Krishna's name and sing his glories incessantly day and night. This is Lord Shiva. That's why he is called Vaishnavanam Yathashambhu, the pinnacle, the crest jewel of all Vaishnavas. For this reason, I am called Mrityunjaya. Mrityunjaya means one who has conquered death. And by my knowledge, I have conquered death. I am fearless. When death sees me, he flies away just like snakes flee when they see Garuda. That is Lord Shiva. King Shankachura thanked and praised Lord Shiva repeatedly and replied modestly, What you have said is quite true. Please, but please allow me to say a few words. Kindly listen. You have just said that fighting with one's relatives is a great sin. Then why did the Lord, on behalf of the demigods, take away all of Bali Maharaja's possessions and send him down to Patala? And why did the Lord, for the same reason, kill Hiranyaksha, Hiranyakashipu, Shumbha and other Danavas, demons? Long ago, the demons and demigods worked hard together, churning the ocean to obtain the nectar from it. But why did the Lord give the nectar to the demigods? O Lord, (laughs) you see how he is putting forward his argument. O Lord, this universe is the sporting ground of Lord Krishna and anyone he favours with fortune and glory obtains them. The quarrelling between the demigods and the demons is eternal. Victory and defeat come to each party alternatively. Alternately. So it is improper and unnecessary for you to interfere in our quarrel. For you, O great Lord, are both my relative and my friend. And your nature is of the highest self. To you, the demigods and the demons are equal. So it is certainly shameful for you to become our opponent and favor the demigods. (laughs) If you win the battle, the glory and fame you would gain would not be as great as if we win. You know, because nobody is equal to Lord Shiva in fighting. And if he wins the battle, you know, if some, if some big heavyweight champion of the world, boxer, he comes and, you know, punches a man on the street and the man goes, collapsed, everyone will, you know, shout at the boxer, what nonsense you are, you know, and they will uh, shout at him, you idiot. Nobody appreciates such a knockdown or a knockout because it's so unequal. In fact, people will, uh, you just bullied him, you know. They, they don't, but if a heavyweight boxer, he fights with another heavyweight boxer and he defeats him, oh, yes, a champion of the world, you know. Like that. So, he is saying, if you win the battle, the glory and fame you would gain would not be as great as if we win. So, but if a small guy, he defeats a big boy, big guy, then of course, everybody, wow, he, he, he defeated, just like Krishna, he defeated Chanura and Mushtika. Everybody was praising, wow, a small boy, delicate boy has killed mighty Chanura and Mushtika. So, so that's, that's what he is saying. You know, if you win the battle, the glory and fame would not be as great as if we win. And if we defeat you, the disgrace and infamy you would earn would be much greater than that which we would if we were defeated. <laughs> so, if you win, it is not very praiseworthy. And if we win and you lose, it's going to be shame. So, whether you win or you lose, you are in a bad position here. And whether I win or lose, I am not in a bad position because I lost to Lord Shiva. If I lose, I lost to Lord Shiva. I at least fought with him. You know, that is great honor. And if I win, oh, there is no end to my glory. So, how he projected himself, you see. For we are small and you are great. 
So, see how nicely the conversation with full respect and with full chivalry, with full warrior spirit. At the same time, you know, not, you know, simply scolding vulgar words, you know. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is all cheapskate talk. Now, Kaliuga talk is like this. But you see how, you know, in, 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 you know, in, uh, before the boxing match, you know, the boxing match is gone. Before the boxing match, there is trash talk. You know, it's trash talk. Ah, you are this one, you are that, you are this, you know, Muhammad Ali, if you know Muhammad Ali, he used to do that a lot. So, this is com- something like a trash talk, but it's, it's not trash. It's completely in, in line with religious principles, with full respect, at the same time, full of warrior spirit. This is Vedic culture, you know, Kshatriya culture. Lord Shiva smiled and gently said, O king, you have descended from a Brahmin family. So, if I am defeated by you, how shall I incur shame? In former days, the Lord fought with Madhu and Kaitabha, as well as Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha, and I fought with Tripura, and the Universal Mother Durga Devi fought with Shumbha and other demons. But none of the demons just mentioned who were killed in the war can be compared to you in prowess. That means, just imagine Hiranyakashipu, Hiranyaksha, Tripura, you know, Shumbha, Madhu, and Kaitabha, all of them cannot match Shankachuda in, his strength, in their strength. Hiranyakashipu, we, we talked, just yesterday we talked about him, about how powerful he was, how he conquered the whole three worlds, although he was just a gatekeeper in Vaikuntha, he was so powerful in this world. Here is Shankachuda, who is the dearest friend of Krishna. In Krishna's Goloka, he was just a cowherd boy, playfully, you know, playing with Krishna. And, but when he descends to this material world, oh, he is the most powerful. Hmm. So, you see, None of, none of them can be compared to you in prowess. You are the best of Lord Krishna's attendants. The demigods have sought Lord Hari's protection. So, he has sent me on their behalf to approach you. The demigods have sought Lord Hari's protection and so he has sent me on their behalf. Krishna has sent me, Narayana has sent me on their behalf to approach you. If I am defeated by a sublime person like you, yourself, how can I be disgraced? But, I am surprised to hear you talk of disgrace and infamy. There is no point in continuing this useless talk. Now, either return to the demigods their kingdoms or prepare to fight with me. I am firm in my determination. Lord Shiva was firm. Hmm. Chapter 11, the war begins. And our class is going to come to an end. <laughs> so, okay. Actually, this war is so good. Shall we like, maybe stop here and start from tomorrow? What do you say? Because it's, you know, once you start it, it's very hard to stop. You know? What do you say? Second thoughts? What are the second thoughts? Shall we continue or like, shall we stop? Okay. I think, you know what? We will probably stop here. Uh, there are a couple of questions. We'll just go through them. And the war, we will read tomorrow. Okay? Because uh, it will go for very long. <laughs> See, Kunti Mataji says, stop. <laughs> stop. Stop it. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> um,
Well, um, only at, I think about two, three questions are there. So we'll go through that. Uh, one comment was, what happened? What is that? Where is the question? Um, yeah. This story link also please put in the YouTube video description. Uh, Prabhu, nice one. Please, a few days back I was asking Subala Prabhu about the story. Somehow Krishna heard and saying this Leela in your name. So, Krishna has answered your prayers. Mm. Yeah, Raghunath Prabhu is uh, quoting a Chanakya Pandit quote here. That women have hunger twofold. Shyness fourfold, daring sixfold, and lust eightfold as compared to men. Then finally, we have Hare Krishna Prabhu. Is Shankachura and Jalandhar both are same person? I don't know about Jalandhar. Uh, Shankachura, I'm, I'm just this is from the Brahma Vaivarta Puran. Shankachura is described here. So I did not hear the name Jalandhar. Oh, so Anand, Anand Mishra Prabhu is saying wonderful storyteller. I don't know if I'm a wonderful storyteller because I'm practically only reading the whole story. <laughs> um, so Prithviraj Prabhu is asking a question. So he's asking, how do we see? How I mean, how do we understand the crying of Sudama in Goloka? Given it is a place of bliss and no distress, can it be seen as a transcendental pastime where all the rasas are present and is something which you don't see in Vaikuntha? So, the crying of Sudama is different from our crying. We cry because we feel material pains, like our desires were not fulfilled or someone we loved, you know, in bodily concept, we lost them or something that we loved, maybe money or something that we lost, our business maybe is lost. So, our crying is because of our material, bodily identification. But Sudama's crying is because he is going to get separated from Krishna. That is Vipralambha. Radharani also cries. Radharani is always crying because she was away from Krishna when Krishna was in Dwaraka and Mathura. So, this crying and Madhu Yashoda was crying. So, this crying is different. This is spiritual crying. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was crying. So, this is out of fear of separation from Krishna. But all such so-called, although here it looks like Radharani is so um, hard-hearted and she cursed two of them, you know, Tulsi and Sudama. But you see, those curses are actually blessings because, because of this, now Tulsi has become a tree and then later you will see tomorrow how she has become so glorious and how because of Tulsi, now we can worship Krishna. Now, whatever our offering is, we can put the Tulsi leaf and, you know, it can go to Krishna. So, actually Radharani is benedicting us by this arrangement that Tulasi is available to us so that by her mercy we get the mercy of Krishna. That's why you say Krishna Bhakti Pradayani. You know, Krishna Bhakti Prade Devi. Satyavatyai Namo Namaha. Krishna Bhakti Prade Devi. She is she gives Krishna Bhakti. 
so so this is the transcendental crying vipralamba is shiva help the soul to uplift its consciousness from ignorance um yes and no yes for those who actually go to him and take instruction from him from him taking him to be a vaishnava yes then because he also has his own sampradaya rudra sampradaya of vaishnavas and vishnu swami is from that sampradaya also so who un- identify him as vaishnava if you see in bhagavatam lord shiva has so many even here also you see how he is speaking to shankachuda it's so um, full of vaishnava philosophy full i mean complete vaishnava what we learned is that what he is speaking and even in bhagavatam beautifully he glorifies he is saying even my work of destruction i delegate kala and agni and uh, rudra i myself only chant you know so he is full of knowledge but those who approach him for that they will get it usually the materialists they worship him for material benedictions they remain in ignorance like the demons like ravana and all okay <laughs> talks of pure devotee from pure devotee <laughs> wow shrutasya pumsam suchirashramasya this is a very beautiful verse actually let's see if it comes as a big uh, it came as a big thing i don't know why it does this anyway we'll uh, see this is a very nice verse 3134 shrutasya pumsam suchirashramasya नन्वज्ञसूरीडिथ तुणुश्रवण मुकुंद पादारविंद हृदय पर्सन्स हू हियर फ्रॉम अ स्पिरिचुअल मास्टर विद ग्रेट लेबर एंड फॉर अ लॉन्ग टाइम मस्ट हियर फ्रॉम द माउथ्स ऑफ प्योर डिवोटीज अबाउट द कैरेक्टर एंड एक्टिविटीज ऑफ प्योर डिवोटीज प्योर डिवोटीज ऑलवेज थिंक विद इन दर हार्ट्स ऑफ द लोटस फीट ऑफ द पर्सनैलिटी ऑफ गॉड हेड अवॉर्ड्स हिज डिवोटीज लिबरेशन सो लॉर्ड शिवा इज एक्चुअली स्पीकिंग हीज हिमसेल्फ प्योर डिवोटी no he's speaking about <laughs> mark jombor prabhu from hungary you know what he's saying you see it is only 3:45 pm here you know you can go <laughs> he is happy more than happy you know he can sit all night radhika mata ji also quoted one shloka here she quoted from the 1132 <clears throat> is a verse which translates like this oh sorry he said uh, looking forward to the cl- tomorrow's class although i am drinking the nectar of your statements about the glories of supreme personality of godhead my thirst is not yet satisfied such nectarian descriptions of the lord and his devotee are the actual medicine for conditioned souls like me who are tormented by the threefold miseries of material existence shrimad bhagavatam canto 11 chapter 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 3 text 2 <clears throat> i think it's worth remembering this whole verse so oh his verses are going on <laughs> okay you know what uh, oh there is a nice verse mushambhu <laughs> is master contributor so here is another uh, nice verse of by shared by vishambhu prabhu he is a scholar actually <laughs> from hari bhakti vilas 
shared this verse. Kim chitrama asya patitam tulasya dalam jalam va patitam punite lagnadi bhala sthalam alavala mritsna pikritsna aghavina vinashanaya shrimat tulasya patrasya mahatmyam yadya pidrisham tathapi vaishnavastanna grahyam krishnarpanam vina. Haribhakti Vilas. What can I say? Oh, Krishna. It's become so small. See, what can I say about the wonderful glories of Tulasi? Her fallen leaves, her rotten leaves and her water, even if fallen mixed with mud, with mixed, her, mixed with her mud, is purifying. That means her fallen leaves, her rotten leaves and her water is purifying. If even a minute quantity of the mud which has emanated from the Tulusi root has been placed on one's head, all of one's sins are removed. Although Tulusi is so glorious and her leaves are so purifying, still Vaishnavas never eat Tulusi leaves without first offering them to the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna. So actually, um, at the end of t- tomorrow's and uh, at the end of tomorrow's uh, session, we will read some of these slokas about the glories of Tulasi and how nicely it is said, you see, Hari Bhakti Vilas. <laughs> These classes are life-giving nectar amid life-taking situation. It's not uh, nothing to my credit, it's just, you know, Krishna's topics are nice. And when in the association of all of you Vaishnavas, it becomes even more pleasurable to discuss these things. So it is uh, by your eagerness that everything is also coming out nicely. Um, because without audience, what would be a speaker? So I would like to stop here. Thank you all very much. Tulsi Maharani ki jai, Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Vaishnavind ki jai, Nitai Gaur Premanande, Hari Hari Bol. <coughs>